It's yeah, like a punch in the face. It's like a punch in the face. It's like the grand finale. It is, it is. Grand finale You're of the show. Like to sleep, Mario. I swear. And and what what a what a finale. Not a finale, but what like a this is the finale of an of a season. So it should it be season, yeah, season finale. Should be a good one. Right. Ian, remember you were since day one, Ian was there. Brian, were you there since the first Twitter files we ever did or not? I think you were. I, no, your I account was suspended. No, no, your account was suspended still. Oh uh, yeah, that, yeah, you're right. I was there. I think I entered one under my other NFT account. account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everyone's asking yeah. me. I got so many DMs. Why are you, why are you accepting some random NFT accounts and you're at stage and I'm still explaining? No, no, these are <laughs> they're they're big accounts on Twitter. They're called the Crescent Times. They're like even worse. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> good to have you, man. I appreciate you giving us the time. Pretty much every time, you, your family's gonna kill you and kill me. Alright, let me start inviting the crew. Ian and Possible. Ian and Slyman, you guys are both co-hosts, so I'll be inviting some of the crew members. And Ian, you'll start reading the um, the yep. drop as always. Uh, I do want to say that if you can pin the thread or the yeah, Twitter files at the top, that'd be great. Now. Yeah. And Slyman, maybe in the meantime, yep. while I'm inviting, can you warm up the room? What everyone could expect. Um, Ian is just kind of pin the thread, but if you guys could kick it off on what we can expect today oh and. My God. Yeah, fifty-one. <laughs> Jeez, it's gonna be a long yeah, day. Yeah, bigger than that. Cause, yeah, it's gonna be a long day because basically we we had um, first we had news that or which we knew about print beforehand, but that Matt Tierby and Martin were gonna testify in front of Congress, and then we received a fifty-so page document detailing what they're actually gonna say to Congress. I think about an hour ago, probably less than that, half an hour ago. So we start preparing based on that document. And the fact that they're going to testify. And then 20 minutes later, Matt Tierby produces another Twitter files, which is one of the items within the larger document. So hence the reason for this uh, Twitter space. So we have three items, actually. We have Matt Tierby's new Twitter files release. We have the document that details what they're both going to be saying to Congress. And then we have the live uh, testimony within Congress as well. So, Brian, what are we expecting? Now, Brian is not the best fan of this, man. He asked, he asked you the wrong person. <laughs> Go, oh, Ian, yeah, like, Ian, what are you... Also, why, why are you a fan of this, Brian? Why are you anti... Would you, do you but, know no, no, yeah. I'm happy to see everything come out. I, I think that's important. I just... I would rather see a congressional hearing where they dump all the Twitter files, the, everything out there, and then both sides of Congress can kind of dive through it and, and kind of kind of decide what's actually important rather than just one journalist who has access to what Elon allows him to have access to. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I understand the importance of transparency, but I'd rather to see transparency. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. I've got actually a quick question for uh, Ian. It's actually a really good point. I've never mm-hmm. thought of it. We talked about how the, um, we were covering live the, the, uh, Tucker Carlson getting the footage from Fox and and we agreed all of us including fans of Tucker that this footage should have been released to everybody. Now though you made a good point I think it was you yeah. Ian that made a good point that uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the yeah, Democrat the uh, committee got the yeah. the footage first so getting Fox getting it I think it's you Slayman Fox getting it first kind of made it balanced out. But in the with the Twitter files it's a valid point that wouldn't it be good to release everything open source for everyone to go through? Or no, there's a lot of confidential. There's a lot of confidential information, though. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't agree. I think, I think that again, we have a scenario where 
we've had one side of the aisle, um, and it, it's, it doesn't matter to me which side it was because I don't really, I don't really care. But when you've had basically complete censorship, let's be real by one side of the aisle. I think the other side of the aisle needs to basically propagate their view. Then everything should be open source. I think that way you get a balanced view or outlook in society. Because if again, if this was to be released to the public, my impression, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, my impression of US media is that it's very much Democrat heavy. And you only have a very, like Fox and maybe few alternative medias who are basically Republican. So again, if you release things to the public when it is something that is contentious like this, I think it should be released specifically to them and then let everyone do it. And you see that by the actions of Dem let me, Dem, Democrat led media, such as, um, my friend Mehdi Hassan and various others who basically already said it was a nothing burger and basically minimized its impact or its value uh, from day one so i do think i think this was the right way of doing about doing it i don't agree with the way it's been done i feel like when it's been leaked so slowly people have basically had a bit of fatigue and got a bit bored so i think it should have been released a lot quicker so that's the that's the bit why i think this should be improved on like like i i think that there's a legitimate argument that Elon can't just release everything, right? Because if he does, there's there's information out there that people could sue him over. There's information that that there's confidentiality agreements and and all of that. So I, I don't think he can just dump everything. But I I feel like he could have had attorneys just go through everything over a series of several months and then dump everything that they could legally dump all at once and just allow any media to sift through it, anybody to sift through it and come up with your own conclusions. Like, so the way I understand it is that Tahibi and these other journalists that Elon allowed to have access to the data, they have to put in pull requests on the data. So if Tahibi wants to write an article about the FBI's overreach, he has to actually send search terms into Twitter and then Twitter's team will see what they can release and then release it to him. So there's kind of like two gatekeepers there. You have, you have the gatekeeper of Twitter and Elon who can say, Hey, I don't, I don't want this released. And then you have the gatekeeper of the journalists who say, this is what I want. I want to search for FBI overreach. I don't want to search for say conversations that Dorsey might've had with Trump or conversations that were taking place after meetings with Trump, like stuff like that. So, that's my biggest gripe. I do think that there's a lot that came out. Some of it, I think, is a nothing burger. Some of it, I think, is important. And and obviously, Twitter did wrong. Obviously, the government did wrong in some cases. Uh, but I'd like to see more information. I think there's an issue of urgency as well. Uh, I mean, the you know, ideally, yeah, you release everything. You know, they go to lawyers and they don't, you know, redact stuff that doesn't need to be redacted and so on. And they put everything in a sort of archive. The problem with that, though, is that the government continues to censor people, right? And a lot of this news is pertinent. I mean, it's happening right now. We wouldn't even be having uh, these hearings right now in Congress. Matt Taibbi wouldn't be uh, giving a deposition or anything if it wasn't for the release of the Twitter files. So there is that sense of urgency there, right? Because the government, make no mistake, is not just sitting on its ass doing nothing, right? I mean, we've seen with the GEC and, and even more recently with name redacted's uh, own files, right? And we need to go through those, Mario, at some point. Uh, they show that, you know, there is an active effort. Perfect. Yo, yo, I just invited him two seconds before he said his yeah. name. Nice. 
Yeah, they're <laughs> like an active effort in the government to uh, to censor people, right? And they're using this uh, this war in Ukraine as as a means to you know to justify that censorship, right? This you know call it Russian disinformation or whatever. And if it wasn't for the Twitter files release, I mean, I I don't think we would even have the Nord Stream files, right? We wouldn't have. Uh, Seymour Hirsch coming out with his reports, and you know, reportedly he's coming out with another report. But how does that how does that relate to Twitter? How does that relate to the Twitter files, though? Well, it, it it lends credibility to his report, right? It lends credibility to the uh, uh, the understanding now that the government is trying to censor and actively promote disinformation and propaganda. I mean, just two days ago, uh, the Intercept released a batch of uh, documents showing that the U.S. SOCOM, that's a special uh, operations, right, special forces. Uh, they are using deep fakes. Right? They've talked about using deep fakes to manipulate the public uh, with propaganda. And we're talking about the American public here. You're not talking about, you know, foreign governments or anything like that. We're, we're, they're actually uh, actively discussing uh, using propaganda with deep fakes and, and IoT. So if it wasn't for the Twitter files, I don't think we would have the context of it. It would be... You know, it, it would be like a bunch of different things happening, but but Twitter files are like the missing link, right? We need that at, as a as a as a basis for everything that is going on right now. Like I said, Congress wouldn't be having these hearings if it wasn't for the Twitter files, right? With the Twitter files, we now know that the government has been doing a lot of this overreach that I think should concern everybody, regardless of politics, because I don't think this is a partisan issue. I think that when the government is actively spying on people or uh, censoring people, you know, whether it is uh, about uh, uh, Russia issues or whether it is uh, with Pfizer, you know, uh, like right now, uh, again, like I said, we have these uh, files from what last week where uh, Matt Hancock, you know, turns out that he had or orchestrated the entire lockdown thing. Uh, in the UK, and and the, the you know the, the way that the whole thing was framed was that it's the Hancock files, right? It's the lockdown files in the UK. So it, Twitter files definitely set the stage for all of this happening. Um, I do want to do th two things. Uh, first, Caroline, good to have you, Justin, uh, uh, regular on the show. Uh, two things. I used to do this a lot, and I stopped. Uh, speakers and audience members, please tweet about the space, retweet, share it. We used to do this a lot and I forgot it's been a few weeks. And now that we're doing Twitter files like the old days, I'm starting to remember. So make sure you do that. Also, as you know, we go through the comments. And I've got a question for the audience. Um, who was there since the first Twitter file? Let me know in the comments. And then who was there in the second or third? I'm genuinely curious. Might bring a couple of you up that were there in the first, first one to get your thoughts on those early days. But in the meantime, do tweet about the space, retweet the space. We might start, we should probably start doing giveaways again for anyone that retweets and promotes the space like we used to a long time ago. I've become complacent, not doing any promotion. Justin, it's going to be an exciting day, man. Good to have you. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I think it should be very eventful. I, I, I'll tell you though, I, I try to set expectations very low. Uh, I've been working the, the last, uh, two months, uh, with staff members from the select COVID committee, providing them any information they need on some of the stuff they're looking at, uh, and talking to other people on different committees and just trying to, you know, project some of the data that we have. But I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not terribly encouraged by, what I've seen so far uh, as far as these hearings go, um, I, I think part of the problem is a lot of the people here on the call, a lot of people on my team have lived this now as part of their lives for the last three years. As we always joke about, we've probably forgotten more about COVID than most people know. 
And, and so it, it, it's, it's always challenging when you have, you know, this sort of level of expectation and knowledge, and then it gets in front of these people in Congress and you're like, well, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask this? So I, I tend to temper my expectations when these hearings come. I don't know that, you know, we're going to be totally satisfied with the answers that they put out, but I, I totally trust the folks that are in front of them to get the message out that, that needs to get there. The second point I'll just make is just, I, yeah, I, I think the, the process of doling out little bits of information to select journalists is probably a little bit problematic, but it's also, you know, just the natural ecosystem that Elon and others are used to. Uh, and and it, it provides at least a focus directive on some of this stuff. And it's really interesting. I've, I've heard from when, uh, I think it was well, the, the short, uh, sort of pseudo Twitter files that Alex Berenson put out there. Uh, had, uh, myself listed in there as Scott Gottlieb tried to silence me on Twitter. And it was a, it was a very side, you know, uh, sort of marginal mention. But I heard from like 10 different people I went to high school with that, uh, you know, Hey, what's this about? Tell me what's going on. And I hadn't talked to them in years, right? It was just a, a really interesting how very specific channels could have, uh, such a, a large megaphone. And so the, I think there's a, there's actually a sort of a, a, a meta case study to be done on the travel of information when it comes to these high case inf infiltrations. I think also the last point is, um, you know, Elon is slowly building his sort of influence ecosystem, right? He follows Ian. He follows a few other people. He follows my, my good friend, Jay Bachataria. And, and so it's, it's really fun to see like friends on my team who Jay knows, who he retweets and Elon retweets. Uh, that's just, a, you know, we, we might complain against that. We might say, oh, he's being influenced by, what, 163 people that he actually follows, right? But in the end, that's that's just the natural course of how things are, uh, you know, in the Twitter world is you are influenced by the people that you choose to follow. Uh, so it, in some cases, it might be unfair. You might not get your voice out, but just, uh, you know, keep, sticking your neck out there for truth and it'll come about you'll get you'll get your day in court cool uh ian i know you're gonna be reading out the twitter files we'll probably give it another couple of minutes before we kick things off uh yeah. we've got caroline we've got freemason uh good to have you let's go to caroline first yeah thanks for having me um to ian's point about this not uh you know being a this not being an issue that should be political, um, I think any time that we are looking at uh, the Constitution just being completely disregarded, uh, this should these should be the moments where we are not seeing arguing, infighting. We should all be pretty much on the same page. Um, and I think those are the moments that we really need to take advantage of. Um, I think in this country, we've gotten entirely too comfortable with thinking that our only duty as it pertains to politics is voting and then just waiting for the next election cycle. Um, I would encourage everybody to make the most of every uh, Twitter files drop, of every uh, big thread that comes out, like Name Redacted has been working on some really great threads. Um, and using that information to apply pressure to our publicly elected officials. Um, I think that part of the reason why we are discouraged about what we're seeing in these proceedings is, uh, in these hearings, is that uh, we have not been good enough about applying pressure all along the way. Mm. And so I just, 
I want to encourage everybody, like, get on the phone, email, write letters. Like, I think there, obviously, there are some really well-connected people in these spaces, but I think we all have a, a part to play, a role to play. And if we want to see the most uh, possible happen with these drops, with these Twitter files, with these threads, we are going to have to kind of mobilize and all decide mm. we have to do something with this. Um, so it would be super cool if when we got off these spaces, you know, we have rooms of depending on the space, you know, I run smaller spaces, but Mario, like your spaces are four, five, seven, ten thousand 10,000 people. It would be great if when we cover uh, a Twitter file space that we all kind of have a call to action, like, Hey, Here's who you need to call. Here's who you need to talk to. Here's where you need to apply pressure. You have 10,000 people doing that. Um, and maybe we'll start to see some of the right questions being asked in these hearings. Thanks, Caroline. Freemason, any quick thoughts before Ian kicked things off? Yes, sir. I mean, listen, man. Hi, how's everybody doing? I'm Freemason Brandon Green. Uh, first, I want to give Brian a, an apology I've been hammering him on his tweets, and then after hearing him articulate here, I got to say I'm impressed. But, you know, if, if Elon didn't uh, expose this quagmire, we'd be really behind the eight ball. Um, what it illustrates really is the agencies compartmentalize everything. And uh, really, we're in a perpetual war as we speak right now with China and Russia. If you liken it back to World War II, obviously, Tyson Krupp, Fuji Tech, Schindler, these people were all in business with the SS. And in many ways, we're in business now on the technology end. I mean, just imagine if China restricts our drug flow or if we had a worldwide famine. We'd be in really, really bad shape, guys. Hmm. Uh, I, I would recommend, though, if you could, Mario, uh, maybe bring up Trash and Doc. They would have very good insight. Yeah, guys, Thank please. you very much. Appreciate it, bro. And we'll be rotating the panel throughout the space, as always. Um, and whoever was mentioned just now, uh, trash host great spaces put your hand up bro we'll bring you up uh, and the other gentlemen otherwise let's kick things off anyone that wants to speak do DM me if we can't see your request when we hit a certain number it's hard to see requests has to glitch but Ian you want to kick off the Twitter files absolutely so here we go Twitter files by Matt Taibbi statement to Congress title is the censorship industrial complex okay I like this already let's go the first uh, tweet has a screenshot it reads uh, I'm not sure where this is from, so... Okay, I'll just read the thing. Two content which might promote vaccine hesitancy. Okay, <laughs> okay, we're off the bang here. Uh, viral posts of individuals expressing vaccine hesitancy or stories of true vaccine side effects. Uh, this content is not clearly mis- or disinformation, but it may uh, be malinformation, <laughs> which is described as exaggerated or misleading. Also included in this bucket are often true posts which could fuel hesitancy, such as individual countries banning certain vaccines. For example, a news article and posts about a central New York school district closing, blah, blah, blah. Right, it, it trails off there. Number two, uh, quote, monitor all tweets coming from Trump's personal account and Biden's personal account. Hmm. So, uh, when Twitter files reporters were given access to Twitter internal documents last year, we first focused on the company, which at times acted like a power above government. So, he actually posts a screenshot of Yul Roth, uh, and his uh, conversations with a number of other people at Twitter. This one is Del Harvey. And, 
I'm 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 not sure what her position was, but she was pretty high up. I think she was in charge of uh, trust and uh, trust and safety. And so the message from Del Harvey reads, "That was a real weird IMO." Okay, so I talked to Vijaya and Sean regarding the whole pill thing for both COVID and elections integrity. Uh, Vijaya wants to aim for a 30 minute SLA for labeling those two things. In exchange, she was okay with one. Vijaya is of course the uh, in in house lawyer, right? She was okay with one uh, asking TWS, that's uh, uh, Trust Safety, uh, to monitor all tweets coming from Trump's personal account and Biden's personal account, Trump's official account and Biden's official account, and then uh, doing initial intake and evaluation, and then signing off and applying the label from any one of us, uh, you, me, Vijay, or Sean, and to err on the side of labeling, since we can always remove the label if we decide we're too conservative. So uh, Yola replies, says, wow, those are some big changes. And she says, well, if she wanted to get 30 minutes, blah, blah, blah. So essentially, Twitter was deciding uh, that they could label anything that Trump tweeted out or even Biden and decide if it was true or false. Uh, number three. But Twitter was more like a partner to government, right? With uh, other tech firms that held a regular industry meeting with the FBI and DHS and developed a formal system for receiving thousands of content reports from every corner of the government, including the HHS, uh, Treasury, NSA, and even local police. And one of the examples here is uh, an email from uh, the U.S. Cyber Command and National Security Agency. That's the NSA. Uh, another one here is... Uh, I think it's okay some uh what is it? CISA, fbi and hhs and they are uh emailing them for from some sort of uh let's see here i'll, I'll actually read this one uh, on october 28 2020 CISA, fbi and hhs issued a joint advisory that describes the tactics technologies and procedures to deploy uh Ryuk, a ransomware against targets in the hhs uh, the hbh which is the healthcare and public health sector to infect systems for financial gain in their report uh, these agencies assess malicious cyber actors targeting HBH using TrickBot malware, etc. So, I mean, that's just an example of one of the emails. Another email is from the Minneapolis Police Department. This is dated November 5, 2020. And this was uh, uh, from the United Escalations Service Desk Portal. And so they forwarded a bunch of tweets uh, <clears throat> from the NPD uh, to to Twitter, I guess, to deal with. And one is from Treasury. Okay, so this is from the uh, FITF. Uh, and they said Treasury just added people to the SDN list, including the Kutch. So I think they, they wanted Twitter to act basically on their behalf. Anyway, it's a bit of a diversion there. Matt Tybee explains, emails from the FBI, DHS, and other agencies often came with spreadsheets of hundreds or thousands of account names to review. Uh, often these would be deleted soon after. And one such email from Elvis Chan, who is the assistant special agent in charge of the FBI in San Francisco, Cyber. He says, Twitter folks below are a list of Twitter accounts that we believe are violating the terms of service by disseminating false information about uh, the place, time, manner of upcoming elections. So I think we saw this one before. Another one here is an FBI report from the San Francisco Emergency Operations Center about tweets that they claim may be in violation of our policies. And another one here is also another FBI report. So uh, anytime the FBI sent in a report saying that we believe X, Y, and Z to be in violation of your rules, Twitter would actually act on it and uh, remove these tweets. So Matt explains, he says, many were obvious misinformation, like accounts urging people to vote the day after an election. But other official disinfo reports had shaky reasoning. The FBI, uh, sorry, the highlighted Twitter analysis here disagrees with the FBI 
about accounts deemed a proxy of Russian actors. So not all of the emails that went in really made a lot of sense. Right? Some of them obviously uh, violated uh, the terms and services uh, you know, of Twitter. Others, uh, and this one in particular, did not. And so they actually disagreed with the FBI where uh, it was some nonsense that was a uh, kind of a graph pointing out how all these people who follow Sputnik, you know, which is a um, uh, Russian uh, outlet, uh, must be, therefore, Russian disinformation agents. And uh, this is an analysis graph here. I mean, analysis uh, of this paper here, where uh, according to the, uh, the FBI, Sorry. Uh, according to the FBI, the uh, identified coordinated inauthentic behavior CIA, in, in South American countries uh, of Venezuela and Cuba attempting to politically influence English, Spanish, uh, Russian and Ukrainian language Twitter users by using Twitter bot accounts to amplify narratives coinciding with Russian military advancement in Ukraine. Uh, attached are assessments that focus only on the CIB amplification of the Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda uh, campaign over the last 48 hours. Identified or known or suspected bots uh, are, are in Venezuela and Cuba are among the top influencers amplifying Ukraine neo-Nazi narratives. Uh, this referral focuses on the top influencers and known or Twitter, uh, suspected Twitter bots linked to, the v, uh, to Venezuela or Cuba to a total of 205 Twitter profiles, which are broken down below. And these accounts, uh, they actually named the top influencers. We have their names here. Uh, Shalikos Amaril, Vida Bella V, um, Pedro Conductas, Camilla, uh, what is it? Camilla Plomo, and something else, yeah. Let's, let's quickly refresh it for the audience. We'll go through maybe five at a time because I know there's a lot of information yeah, here. Quite a bit so from what you've read... Yeah, so what you've read so far, Ian, um, what, how would you summarize it for the audience? I've seen a few people joining in the last few minutes as well, and then we'll, sure. we'd love to get the thoughts of the panel as well. So, right, Ian so, Sleiman, uh, you want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah, I, I can explain the whole thing. So, uh, essentially, uh, Matt Ibe setting the stage in these few drops here, uh, stating that the FBI, uh, the DHS, and a lot of other government agencies worked hand-in-hand -hand with the with Twitter to effectively uh, – uh, I mean, Twitter was acting as a partner, right, to censor people. There was in some cases, a, a uh, lack was, of uh, – The FBI would send in requests saying, hey, you know, uh, these 200 accounts or these 200 tweets are probably in violation of your – uh, terms of service, maybe you want to deal with them. And those were valid reports, probably. Uh, but in, in this one instance, the one that I'm reading here is uh, is them claiming that anyone who was amplifying, uh, um, you know, the, not the narrative, but rather the truth that there are neo-Nazis in uh, Ukraine are uh, Russian bots. So they, they were actually actively trying to censor anybody who was calling out Ukraine uh, for having neo-Nazis in it. So, so again, it's pretty recent information. Slayman, you've gone through the, the thread as well. Um, how, what would you sum up so far? And is there anything new or not yet? I think it's, a lot of it is similar information we've gone through. It seems that it's summarizing things we know already, no? It is, it is similar information. I'd say up to now, based on what Ian's read, there's more of a balance. It's not, you know, more towards attacking, for example, Trump's people or Biden's people, but there's a, a concerted effort to track Trump's account, Biden's account, and then more than that, the same concern as previous that the the industrial complex has severe control or influence over what's happening on Twitter. So initially, Matt Taibbi does say partner, but then in, in another tweet, he's saying that accounts were quickly um, deleted. So you got basically significant influence. Uh, Justin, Justin, I'll go to you and I've got yeah. a couple of questions for Tracy. 
Yeah, I think the the problem is when when they start calcifying the policies towards these relationships. I think that's when you get into trouble. You heard it mentioned in the thing that uh, they were going to review anything that Biden or Trump posted within 20 minutes as an SLA. That is a service level agreement. I'm like, wait, wait, who's the agreement with? Is that with the government? Who who's the other party there? But the the other thing on top of that is just. You know, in the, in the lawsuit that I filed, what it came back is that they were having weekly meetings, what they call BOLO meetings, beyond the lookout meetings with the CDC and the HHS. And, and the problem there is that you get into this cadence where it's now calcified into your procedures. And if you start out, you know, infringing on people's First Amendment rights right at the outset, now that's just part of your bone and part of your marrow. And it's going to, to really cascade into something awful down the road. Uh, Tracy, from what you uh, do, you know anything about the jobs today? Tracy, have you had a chance to go through them? Because you were there since the early days of the Twitter files, like I think the first or second one. Yeah, I'm reading through it right now. I haven't had a second yet because I was reading uh, Schellenberg's um, testimony for the hearing that's coming up at ten. Um, but you know, none of this is surprising because it's all it's all basically coming out at once um, in court documents and the Twitter files and. Does anyone is anyone surprised that they're they're targeting anyone who doesn't go along with the military industrial complex war drums? Um, I think that's mm. one thing a lot of the left and the right can agree on right now. Yeah, because these accounts, the ones in particular, the one instead I was uh, reading, they're all left wing accounts. They're all based in Catalonia. So this idea oh, wow. that okay. yeah, they're, they're yeah. why do you think, hold on what, in Catalonia? Yeah, sorry, Tracy. I don't. I don't think that anybody. Um, any rational person wants this massive global catastrophe to happen that they're trying to push on us. So um, we're all we're all on the same side here against this this kind of um, propaganda messaging campaign that I, I don't think is ultimately successful. To be honest, no matter what they do. Hmm. Um, I, I've got a question for you, Ian. Like, why do you think this time it's a, it just doesn't? It just seems more balanced. It's not leaning left or right. Because like, the information so is the same. Like, are they? Sorry, it's about the uh, yeah yeah. I mean, I know I know the nature of your question. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's about the military-industrial complex. You know, at this point, it wasn't really even about suppressing, say, Trump supporters. In this one, in, in particular, when it pertains to anything regarding Ukraine and Russia, uh, criticism about you know America's involvement in the war come from both the left and the right. Maybe not so much in the left in, in the U.S., except for you know a handful of people like Jimmy Dore. Uh, but for the most part, you know, worldwide. It's left-wing groups that are opposed to the war, right? And as well as right-wing groups, right? You you know, you have people with different motives, different reasons for why they would oppose the war. Obviously, it's financial for a lot of people, you know, like they, they see their countries going bankrupt while their, you know, their governments are supporting the war, um, you know, supporting Ukraine and all that stuff. So they're going to criticize these things. Uh, but thus far, you know, like it looks like the government was, you know, using its ongoing relationship with Twitter to suppress any kind of dissent against the military industrial complex. That's what it looks like to me. I mean, it's quite clear. But is, there, is, there any, is, there any com- is there any communication with the uh, with, with anyone from the uh, uh, military industrial complex? Or well, it's I mean, just... The, uh... the government is the military industrial complex, but the FBI is obviously going to back up anything. No, the government, the, government is, the government is influenced by the military industrial complex. And yeah, again, so you might I mean, be the, more... I mean, I, I right. think that would be between, you know, Raytheon and the government. I don't think we have those files, right? <laughs> but we certainly do see requests from the FBI for Twitter to ban a lot of accounts, uh, South American accounts, Spanish-speaking accounts, and these are left-wing accounts that are uh, 
you know, opposed to America's involvement in Ukraine, right? Because, you know, as we now know, I mean, as we've known for the a very, Twitter, very the long Twitter, time. The Twitter, but did Twitter implement those requests to ban leftist accounts? Twitter actually acted on some of them. It, it says here in one of these emails, it says here, hey, folks, this is from a Twitter person. I suspended 12 accounts of uh, uh, AR origin and, and 10 accounts of VE origin. VE is Venezuela. AR, I think, is Argentina. Uh, that were uh, tweeting about Ukraine and Nazis and were clustered by identical event IPs and user agents and our safety graph, right? So, but after reviewing the uh, Chalecos account, we're recommending to request an ID in order to obtain another signal about the actor behind the account. While the FBI asserts that the account is a proxy of Russian actors, we have found evidence that suggests it is linked to individuals in the Pirate Party in Catalonia and others on the left political spectrum. We also found that Chalecos account has been strangely retweeting its own content and then quickly deleting it, blah, blah, blah. So that account in particular, they, they refused to ban it, but they actually acted on some of the others. So yes, I would say it was half and half. They did they did ban a bunch of accounts that were tweeting against Ukraine. Before going to trash, I do want to welcome uh, Kyle, who's been there and give, gave us a lot of insight throughout the Twitter files. So I'll, I'll probably ask him a lot of questions today for as long as he has. Um, we've got Piotr, um, who's been on our spaces in the early days as well. We do have William, who started joining our spaces recently, and of course Trash, who does spaces himself. Trash, any quick thoughts before we go through a few more tweets in the thread? Just for the audience, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the drop now, then we're going to start going through the uh, testimony, and it's going to come out later. Uh, Trash, the mic is yours. Yeah, Mario, appreciate it. And I'll be quick. It's actually right in the same vein of what Ian was just talking about. So if you guys look at the fifth drop um, on the looks like a cable from the government. I'm not really sure what office this came from, but it seems to be a cable the way it says unclassified. It's, it's a cable, yeah. It's an intelligence cable. I think, uh, I, I think, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, you continue. Yeah, yeah. and so the highlighted sorry, part in the bottom is really interesting to me. So narrative, so it's letter line U, narrative tweets amplified by the bots blame U.S. for Nazification of Ukraine. Quote, Biden is the architect of the 2014 ousting of a leader with 90% support using U.S.-backed neo-Nazis and then put his son on the board of Burisma, end quote. Also, quote, a CIA, a CIA coup in Ukraine happened, which led to fascist neo-Nazi regime being installed. This led to NATO troops with the potential of nuclear weapons being at the doorstep of Russia. I find this information interesting considering what we know now. I'm sure I don't have a date on this. Does it have a date when this came out? Because we now know a lot of this thing to be true. Okay, so this was actually... It's 2022. Oh, my God. It's 22. So right before Russia went in then. Uh, it's happened? March, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's right. Interesting. So Russia goes yeah. into, so Russia entered Ukraine, what, February 20th? 24th. Or 24th. February 24th. Yep. Yeah. So I find that interesting that they're, they're, they're automatically labeling that right there. So uh, that kind of tells you what narrative they're trying to prevent uh, from getting. What, what was the, so Trash, what, what, what was the, what, what did you just spot? What happened on the day that Russia invaded? Uh, this cable went out and saying that we need to suppress information saying that a CIQ in Ukraine happened, which led to the fascist neo-Nazi regime, because they're trying to make sure that support for Ukraine remains strong as this moves forward. So they're doing – guys, guys, so, so essentially what's happening is not is not surprising. This happens in many other countries. Look, I was just researching how, how, how China controls the narrative. The U.S. looks angelic in front of what China does. I mean, it's very wrong, but I'm just saying that like, it's not. It, it shouldn't be surprising. The government wants the you know they want citizens to support the decisions they're taking. The and they create a narrative and they try to implement it. They leverage social media platforms. They leverage mainstream media. 
Um, so first, I'm, they, I'm really glad that, that we're fighting against this. I'm really glad they can't do that in this country. That's the problem. The problem is no, no. I'm not saying no, no, no. I'll just, yeah, just, just I'll, I'll give you the mic. I'm saying it's very thing. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I'm just saying like it's well, not it's not surprising that they're doing it. I'm glad I mean, that we're it, fighting against it, 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 but surprising, right? Exactly. It should be surprising because America is a it's it's a constitutional republic, and there are laws preventing this from happening. I mean, you yes, you can expect this in an autocratic country like Venezuela or Cuba or North Korea. But to see this happen in America, right, to see America behaving like one of these despotic countries while simultaneously uh, going out there on the world stage. Well, just claiming to be I'll, 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 I'll rephrase it. Hold on. I'll, I want Kyle. Oh, okay, everyone. I like, I like that I started a debate. Hold on. No, no. I, I want to go to Kyle. I want to go to Kyle and then we'll go to Jim. Uh, but I'll rephrase what I said and I'll give the mic to Kyle. I'm not surprised they're trying to control the narrative. Maybe I should word it as such. All narratives, whatever the decision they're trying to take. Uh, I'm surprised that they've managed to succeed to this extent. That's probably a better way to word it. Kyle and Jim. Okay, here's the, here's the issue. Um, you should be surprised because I want you to think about other war efforts that have happened in this country where the government does have a vested interest in people backing it, right? You can go back to the Iraq war. You know, the government wanted that happening. They put out all kinds of information and there was significant protest both in the media and in public where people would go and protest on the streets. There was an anti-war movement. It was well covered by the news media because that fit the, uh, you know, sort of the agenda of some people in the news media. And, and that's what's supposed to happen. That's what a free society looks like. The government can make an action and then everybody can complain about it. That's when, when the government goes through and starts censoring it on the back end, and starts using the the means of production that are actually, you know, allowing this information to be distributed and people to have an opinion about it. They don't get to censor opinions, even if those opinions are factually inaccurate. That's that's not acceptable in this country. It's actually against the law for the government to go in and do that. So this is why this is a big deal. When they're out there uh, putting this out on a, on a cable of any kind, it doesn't matter who wrote it. It's all it's all unacceptable. So it should be surprising to you. The fact that it's not just tells you how far we've slipped and what we've been willing to accept in this in this nation. But it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it doesn't change what it what the the status quo. Never not be. like that. Before yeah, before you jump in, Piotr, just want to give him a massive welcome, and I'm I'm happy that Kim is here. As I said earlier, the first Twitter files we started was uh, me, Ian, Tara, and Kim. And Kim has been off spaces for a while. I did pester him, and he 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 joined. So I'm glad he jumped in. So Kim, <laughs> before I go to Piotr to respond to Kyle, pleasure to have you. Thanks. I'm just listening, guys. Uh, keeping okay. keeping up with the latest developments. Um, and we've got the Twitter files and the testimony in a bit. Yot, the mic is yours. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think we're getting a little bit too carried away here. This is I've just read through it. There's nothing major new in this, to be honest. Um, I think it's a false equivalency, as usual, to compare sort of autocratic states to the U.S. Sure, I'm against the suppression of speech, um, and I've been as surprised and unsettled by some of the things that others have said in here, but uh, it's not surprising at all that the US would respond by wanting to try to uh, perhaps limit or influence the narrative around one of the most destructive wars that we've seen in recent memory. So uh, I, I don't really think it's fair to sort of compare it to what's happening in Russia uh, and the extent to which the freedom of information truly is suppressed. If you think you're yeah, yeah, well, look at but Piotr, let, uh, let's let's just let's just take a look at something here. Oh, sorry, let's just take a look at something here. Listen, the the this and what is really there is some stuff that's just repetitive. I I, I grant so in this. Your so mic, your, your mic. Oh no, it's better now. It's better now, Jim. 
Okay. The, the, there is a um, we we there are definitely some things that they're kind of setting up to lay a foundation for the hearings today. But what is very important to note, and and in relationship to what the United States wants to do to control information, we have and and Ian made the point. We are a constitutional republic. There is a firewall between speech in the United States and what the government wants to put out there. This has yeah, always yeah. been the case in the United States. This we have been protected by that from this for this constitution. It is now in the era of uh, an advancement of technology particularly in line with social media where the United States government for the first time in its history has had a significant not it's not the first time it's been tried but it's the first time that the United States government has had a significant opportunity to cater a narrative when it relates to war or anything else you know you don't hear about it very often but there were serious anti-war movements in both World War 1 and World War 2 in the United States they were able to get their message out. They ultimately did not prevail because public opinion went a certain way. But particularly in World War II, they were not able to be silenced. This is a radical shift in how the United States government interacts with its citizens that's taking place. And we're seeing it laid out right here in these Twitter files. Now, again, this is this some repetitive stuff. But Taibi is rightly setting the stage for the hearings today, and so that's why you see some repetitive information. It's regurgitating the basic problem that I'm trying to communicate here. I'm just yeah, gonna just quickly. Uh, 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 I, I just want to announce one thing, Piotr, the, uh, just quickly, and I'll give you the mic to respond. Okay, I think Piotr can hear me. Uh, Piotr, I'm just going to take you down, bring you back up, and yeah, no, I'll I just playing up. Um, I, I will go to. I just want to say one thing. Uh, Name redacted will be joining us as well, so I just want to give. Uh, uh, let everyone know that the the man, the myth, the legend, who's been doing a lot of work as well on this. Uh, I'll just send him out an invite. He'll be joining us. Uh, but I want to go to Piotr. Let me bring him back up, and then we'll go to Brian and Kyle. Uh, Piotr, the mic is yours, man. Piotr? I'll go to Brian. Yeah, so so I, I, I think it's kind of a matter of where do you draw the line. So... In Tahibi's number four tweet in the thread, he said that emails from the FBI, DHS, and other agencies often came with spreadsheets of hundreds of thousands of accounts, uh, names and re for review. Uh, and he also said many were obvious misinformation, like accounts urging people to vote the day after the election. So do we all agree that stuff like that should be transferred to Twitter so that Twitter can at least consider the removal of it? I, I think that's no. pretty... Yeah, yeah, you know, no. Let, let me let me answer that because you're kind of addressing what I said. The reason that this is problematic is this: when you have your a, mic, Jim, your mic is your mic. I don't know what's happening to it today. I'll tell you. What Sorry, is it better now? Is that better now? Yeah, it's better now. It's better now. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So, 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 what what is really important to note here is when you have regular uh, file dumps going to a social media, privately owned social media platforms by the federal government. Now you develop, uh, Jim, Jim. A, ref you develop a reflection. Uh, uh, Kyle, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the mic while fixing Jim's. Yeah, Jim's uh, in a wind uh, tunnel, uh, unfortunately. Ahead, Look, it's really straightforward. Yeah, Jim, it's like, it's the, like you're in a wind tunnel or something. He is. Listen, the, the government has yeah, one ahead, ability Kyle. to do this. The government can go to the people with spokespeople and let the media cover or not cover their position. The end. Anything beyond that is unacceptable. It can't go through the back door. Look, 
uh, imagine if the, uh, the the public debate is a is a some sort of sports game, and the government is one you know has one messaging, and people that oppose what's going on there are the other team. What we're talking about here by going behind the back and giving quote unquote misinformation or disinformation, which the government is not allowed to get in w- involved in, they're not allowed to weigh in on those things. They're going and paying off the referee before the game and maybe even during the game. This is not how the marketplace of ideas advances ideas. They're supposed to, you know, the government's always going to have a big microphone, but they cannot go in there and start censoring the microphone on the back end. And uh, it's like, it's just totally unacceptable. Once you cross that lot, that line, it's over. And the government can't spend money and resources to go after any accounts and do research on mis or disinformation. The only way that this can work is if there is foreign money involved and someone is acting as an agent of a foreign government we do have some rules on that. We have some laws that, that cover it, like FARA. And then if that is the case, then what they do is they go to the actors, if they can find them, and they tell them they have to register as a foreign agent. That's it. There's actually no penalty to it. Historically, there's never been a penalty on FARA. It just doesn't get prosecuted. So they cannot get involved in this game. The, the actual involvement in doing this is the misstep. That is the cross over the line. And, and, there's no, and once you cross that line, you've opened up a little hole that's going to break the dam, and as we saw. So, so, but, 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 so you're saying that the government doesn't have a right to tell a private company that they believe illegal activity is happening on their platform. It's not illegal activity. That's the whole point, right? This is not illegal activity. Just, just, just hold on. No, no, I agree with you, but this is not illegal activity. If the activity is illegal, the government doesn't go to a foreign company or to the company and say, hey, we're going to take this enforcement action on these actors that happen to use your platform. Why? Like the government is not involved in the outcome. And that's the thing that people keep no, no, mis- so, misunderstanding. We, as a government, so, as a federal so, government, so, it cannot be involved in the outcome. It can only be involved in the process. That's the way that you want it. The minute the government has a vested interest in the so-called outcome of it, then they are now a, a participant that has some skin in the game. And the government is supposed to be an arbiter. So, no, so what I'm saying is that there were accounts urging people to vote in the election on November 7th or whenever. Not what? illegal. Yeah, yeah. So what? It is illegal. It, it is illegal to spread misinformation that could result no. in... No. It's in not. A, no, no, no. You have to actually show that those people were deprived of their vote, and they're not. They're not. Look, if I told you, Brian, to go out and, and yell mis- your vote to the moon... It's illegal. Kyle, Kyle, there are laws in the United States against spreading misinformation that can affect and impact an election. Show if us, you go, go on do, social media. No, no, you don't go on social media. Go on laws that. So, guys, hold on, hold on. Yeah, hold on. I'll actually. I'll go. I'll go. Brian, use chat GPT. I started using it yesterday. It's a life changer. Trust me, man. It'll give you the source and everything. So, while you check that, Piotr, I know you were speaking, and then I want to go to name redacted and do a quick introduction. I'll actually let Ian and Slayman to do an introduction on name redacted for anyone that doesn't know who he is. But, Piotr, the mic is yours. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I, again, I don't disagree with the concerns that a lot of people share. Over government interference, something that we should all be against. I'm certainly not in favour of uh, big government in uh, in our lives. But um, I, I do also appreciate Brian's point that there are concerns about, um, you know, I, I think also we need to separate different cases and examples, right? There's a difference between um, Russian meddling the 2016 election or not versus information that's being uh, 
spread and shared over the uh, developments in Ukraine versus other things to do with domestic US politics or whatever it is. That being said, every government will likely advise. I mean, I've, I've read through the thread, as I said, I, and if you can or something, uh, you know, it, it says we believe um, the list of Twitter accounts below are violating your terms of service by dis- disseminating false information about time, place or manner of upcoming elections. Let us know if you decide to take any again- action against these accounts based on our-, our tipper to you. Now, I don't really like the phrase tipper. That sounds a little bit too chummy to me and as though there is too much over sort of, you know, engagement between these two sides. But they are simply notifying. They aren't forcing Twitter yet to do anything. So I think we should also make the distinctions where there are the distinctions. So, anyway. I think, I think um, you yes. underestimate the, uh, I said misunderstand. Did you, the, did you the, research the, the it right? thing, I just want to address one thing. It's that ahead, you have to look at the power dynamic. You know, if your boss, tell, you know, if your, your boss, someone who has the ability to basically fuck you over, tells you to do something, you just do it. Um, yeah, so before going to Brian and introducing Name Redacted, I just want to let the audience know that we'll be going through the Twitter files in a few minutes. Uh, do share. Let us know what you think in the comments. Brian, I just checked it on ChatGPT. I'll read out what I found. In the U.S., sharing information on social media to influence an election is not inherently illegal. However, there are laws and regulations related to campaign financing is different. And then there are also laws related to online activity that may apply to sharing information on social media to influence an election. Those, for example, yeah, spreading false information. Mario, none of those are codes. Here's the other codes forms that you're looking for. Interference. The code is 18 USC section 1038, false information and hoaxes. And there's significant restrictions that the government cannot be messing around with. Number one, it has to show that there's an intent. So you have to have intent, and that has to be provable, to convey false or misleading information. I'm just citing criminal violation uh, subsection 1 in general. And the second thing is, is that the information must have been reasonably believed, and where there's such information to indicate that activity has taken place, is taking place, or would take place in violation of a number of different other statutes. Um, And they mentioned things like homicide and other real crimes that we would actually have a real problem with. The idea that somebody would be deprived of their vote. Um, you have to actually show that somebody would be deprived of their vote. doesn't mean that there haven't been convictions of this because we're dealing with kangaroo court, you know, post-constitutional America. But this is the code, false information and hoaxes. And you would have a really, really difficult time. One, getting to intent because intent is hard to prove. It's one of the hardest things to improve because you have to get in someone's mind. And the second is that there was actually an individual whose you know, right to vote was violated. And you actually have to show that. So these are the reasons why you can't put government so, so, resources on these things because there's no indication that these would be reasonably believed to have resulted in the activity that they're saying that they were, they're trying to accomplish. So, so on FBI.gov, it says intentionally deceiving a qualified voter uh, to prevent them from voting is voter suppression and is a federal crime. So it, that's it just what I said, though, Brian. I just said that they have to yeah, actually yeah, prove but, the but, statute. But the statute that, is, you were saying that it's not you illegal. You have to prove the statute, it is Brian. Illegal. You, you can't it's just illegal to... Look, I don't vote in the United States. Guys, 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 I don't know. Guys, please. Yeah, Brian, finish off. Yeah, so it's it's the statute that Kyle just just quoted right there. And on the FBI website. If you don't mind, please, please. And then we'll continue. Then we'll go to name redacted. So the FBI website clearly says that if a if you are preventing a qualified voter from voting, based on this misinformation that it is illegal. And so so my argument is, should the government be able to 
contact Twitter and say, hey, it looks like illegal activity is happening. Can you check? And at your discretion, remove it. They should. No. And the, the fact that no. the fact that you say that. The, no, the reason the I say no is because the say, FBI cannot just, do pre-crime on this type of information. Uh, no, there is no illegal is information that is going so, on. It can't happen until after they were deprived of the vote. It, that's the, that's the problem. This is what I'm saying. Okay, so 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 this is this is my point of view. So if you have people spreading misinformation on Twitter saying it the election day is tomorrow when it's today, that is clearly going to fool people that are not informed. And for the clearly. FBI to go for the FBI to go and get subpoenas or or take this to court, it would take months and months and months. That's our problem. They don't That's have that time. And they're they're there. You cannot no, do pre-crime. It's not Brian. due process. They're letting a no, private Brian, company if you know that illegal somebody, activity he, he is taking shady, place on their platform. You can't just arrest him because he looks shady. Like even if you suspect he's going to commit a crime, you cannot arrest him. You have to wait until I'm he actually does I'm not saying arrest people. I'm saying just tell Twitter that there's illegal activity taking place or possibly illegal activity. There's a difference like between that. telling a private company that there's misinformation that could affect an a democratic election the fbi is specifically something. prohibited from being involved in free speech and the only reason that they can get involved is when that's free that speech is not actually involved is free a speech. crime it is free speech <laughs> so guys i just want to uh, guys i do want to go uh first brian shit first time you, you explored on the space two days ago you left the space today you explore i like it keep it up man justin give you the mic and then i do want to go to name redacted yeah, look, the, the the challenge is is that this power dynamic is there. It is the best practice for the government not to infringe on these things, and these power dynamics become like sort of like uh, shakedowns. Uh, in the lawsuit that I had, it was revealed that Facebook had these weekly meetings, and then there was such tension that Facebook decided to give the government $15 million in free advertising to show sort of their obeisance to this entire endeavor right and, and i think that's the key issue here is you're just you know it 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 might seem as good policy for the government to inform someone but let's say for example i said hey the election is wednesday and also be sure you bring your viagra pill because president biden needs that that's obviously parody and satire but under this case i would be flagged by the fbi or otherwise right so it's these are things that the government should not decide on. They're using – in the lawsuit, I make the case they're using these companies as proxy to silence individuals, and that's where it becomes really problematic. But, yeah, the government changed money. The, 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 these social media companies paid the government to be in good standing, basically. It was shakedown money. Name redacted. Uh, before. Did Mario's mic cut off? Yeah, it cut off. I thought he was still yeah. speaking, but yeah, it's him. No, he just muted by itself. Happens. Now, just uh, Ian, I want you to introduce Name Redacted. Name Redacted, your thoughts on the drop today, and then give the audience an overview of the all the drops that you've done over the last few weeks. I know we're planning to cover uh, cover the next drop together, but just give us an overview because you've been doing an incredible job, Ian. Uh, I'd love you to do the introductions. I'll do well. I'll give a very brief introduction. I'll say the name Redacted has been doing these uh, Twitter drops, basically uh, going over uh, the government's involvement in the suppression of free speech and a bunch of other things. Uh, you should check out his threats, his Twitter threats, and I'd just like to let him speak now. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, we we definitely should have a a space on 
these last two that I've done. Uh, there's not going to be a next one, uh, Mario. The, this is two and three were, were pretty much it. Um, but here's here's the uh, the crux of it, I guess. Uh, the first one up there, you see uh, the Foreign Malign Influence Center. Um, the person that used to hold that uh, title or in that role was a woman named Shelby Pearson. She was the elections threat executive appointed by the Office Director of National Intelligence. And she met weekly with uh, CISA and social media. And she was named by uh, Elvis Chan as one of the four people that specifically warned social media of a hack and leak, okay, regarding Hunter Biden. Moving on, there's a another tweet up there I put, which is number seven. It says number seven, disturbing. Shelby Pearson's on record. She was asked, well, what do you do about domestic misinformation and she said well we government believe in free speech yet if we know that the information put out on social media is foreign sponsored then we want to do everything we can to manage that speech and here's the point i'm trying to make and this is the government's line of thinking especially from this uh agency the office of director of national intelligence is that not only is critical infrastructure like the actual physical voting machines um internet uh being cyber intrusions is is a national security threat during elections but they have made our thoughts and our opinions part of critical infrastructure and those our thoughts and opinions now are can't are labeled as a potential national security threat so they opened up this agency, the Foreign Malign Influence Center, just in September, five months ago. The Foreign Malign Influence Center is the same thing as the DHS Disinformation Governance Board. And there should be as big of an outrage over this as there was over this Nina Jankowitz thing last year. What the Foreign Malign Influence does is, uh, yeah, they, they focus on foreign malign influence. However... If they label anything that they don't like as foreign disinformation, they will go to social media and they will tell them to take it down, suspend accounts and whatnot. That's a a perfect example. Hunter Biden laptop, um, COVID lab leak theory, even though that was sort of guided by the health authorities. They also did mention in their report that that Russians were amplifying the COVID lab leak or covid conspiracies so we have a thought police right now and no one's talking about it it's the foreign malign influence center and they say in their um fact sheet that their mission is to counter malign influence that seeks seeks to affect the uh, opinions of uh americans right so it's a bigger discussion here we should have a separate thread on this person, Shelby Pearson, her role, and now what it's become as the Foreign Malign Influence Center, which is the same thing as the DHS Disinformation Governance Board. And they are cons- they have labeled our thoughts and opinions as potential like national security threats and part of critical infrastructure in elections. Not only that, in other areas like COVID or whatever other hot topic issue that will come up. And that that does cross over into civil liberty uh, violations because they they cannot 
censor domestic speech. Okay. Anyone have any question about that? That makes sense. Saman, do you have any questions before we continue with the thread? No, no, I think we should continue this thread because we've got quite a bit to get through and then the live the live testimony starting probably should have started actually. Yeah, we'll be, uh, I think, uh, Simon, if you could keep in, I'll, I'll cover for the moderating if you like, and you can watch your testimony, jump in with any highlights, or maybe you find a source that summarizes any interesting highlights. For the audience as well, um, if you find anything, if anyone tweets any highlights from the testimony, send it through, our team will vet it, and then mention the important parts here. Because it's going to be a, a Jim was telling me, it's like a two Jim, how long will the testimony take? And then we'll go back to Ian, just to, get, to give us an idea. I think it's like two to three hours. Yeah, they could be up for two to three hours. The whole thing will probably be a six hour thing all day long but they, they could be there two to three hours i don't know how much they're scheduled they may be scheduled there all six hours but we need to plan on them yeah, being done I, maybe in three i don't think there will be and and what we'll do is we'll go through the twitter files we'll also go through name redacted threads a bit more we'll dig into them a bit deeper um while getting highlights from the testimony and i really hope this one is more interesting than the last one um, cause the last one was very underwhelming. I think Ian, you were really pissed off. You didn't even want to do a space about it. If you remember, you're like, I called you and genuinely pissed off. Like Mario, yeah, I give up everything. Yeah. You're like Mario, everything we did is just a waste. No one gives a shit. No one cares. Everything's going to continue. <laughs> if anything's going to get worse, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> it was like the most depressing thing, but hopefully today will be a better day. Uh, yeah. but yeah, let's continue with the thread. Let's see what else we have. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, number six. Uh, then we saw disinformation lists where evidence was uh, even less clear. This list of 378 uh, Iranian state-linked accounts includes an Iraq veteran once arrested for blogging about a war, a former Chicago Sun-Times reporter and Truthout, a site that publishes Noam Chomsky. So, yeah, like, and he shows screenshots of, uh, you know, Truthout, Craig Newman, and uh, uh, Leonard Clark. Right. So these are published authors and the state of the text. And this is sorry, the start of the text from uh, this is a appears to be a cable. It's an, you know, one, one of those analysis things. It's from the Department of State Global Engagement Center. So GEC, remember that name. Right. And it's also uh, according to them, you know, this has foreign malign influence and uh, uh, shows that it has coordinated uh, inauthentic behavior. And they did a bunch of analysis, behavioral analysis, sentiment analysis, and automated account detection for bots uh, regarding Iranian things. And said, uh, so they provided a file of 378 suspected bot accounts. Um, none of, you know, yeah, they were not bots. These people are absurd. Number seven, in some cases, state reports didn't even assert misinformation. Here, a list of YouTube videos is flagged for anti-Ukraine narratives. How dare they speak out against Ukraine, right? So, uh, this is from 2nd August, 2022. It's fairly new. It's fairly new. Um, the tear line, blah, blah, blah. And this is, you know, it's it's sent to Apple, Meta, Reddit, LinkedIn, YouTube, Google, Twitter, Verizon Media, Yahoo, and Wikimedia. Uh, and the text here is that Russian mogul Yevgeny Prigozhin's Internet Research Agency was responsible for the following content, which was highlighted uh, predominantly anti-Ukraine narratives between April and May 2022, addressed on the specific platforms. And these are just YouTube shorts. It's kind of absurd because it's not even misinformation. It's not false. They simply don't like that it promotes anti-Ukraine stuff. So Matt Ivey explains, he says, that the bulk of the censorship requests didn't come from the government directly. He asked if Twitter's marketing department could say the company detects misinformation with the help of outside experts. A Twitter executive replied, 
And uh, someone, you know, asked him, Nick Pickles, are you comfortable with marketing talking about misinfo, saying that we detect it through ML, human review and partnerships instead of experts? And Nick Pickles replied, can we just say partnerships? For example, we're we're not sure we would describe the FBI or DHS as experts or even some uh, NGOs that aren't academic. So, no, they could not actually detect bots. They just claim to be able to. And Twitter clearly was like, yeah, these guys are not actually experts. Yeah. So Matt goes on, he says, we come to, we came to think of this grouping, the state agencies like the DHS, FBI, or the Global Engagement Center, GC, along with NGOs that aren't academic, and our unexpectedly aggressive partner, commercial news media, as the censorship industrial complex. This is, so who is in the censorship industrial complex? In Twitter, in 2020, helpfully compiled a list for a working group set up in 2020. The National Endowment for Democracy, which is the Atlantic, uh, sorry, the Atlantic Council's DFR Lab, Hamilton 68's creator, and the Alliance for Securing Democracy are key. And so, uh, Twitter actually, uh, put out, uh, you know, a list of all the organizations that they're working with, right? Including First Draft, Center for European Policy Analysis, DFR Lab, Alliance for Securing Democracy, International Republican Institute, Atlantic Council, Stanford Internet Observatory, Brookings Institute, uh, National Endowment for Democracy, and the NDI. So, Twitter's executives weren't sure about the Clemson's, uh, Clemson's Media Forensics Labs, which is, they claim, too chummy with the HPSCI. And they were not keen on the RAND Corporation, which is too close to the U.S. Department of Defense. But others uh, were deemed just right. And this is an email from Newell Roth. I will read it out loud. It says, I really like the idea of doing this. If nothing else, it streamlines some of the relationships that presently are just managed ad hoc by different individuals and creates a single touch point between those people and groups and Twitter. Uh, Nick, your list covers a lot of uh, the folks I talk to on a regular basis. Only addition I might add it would be data and society, or perhaps Dana, but possibly others in DNS as appropriate. They are doing lots of work around the census in addition to the broader 2020 stuff. Uh, I'd recommend against including folks in Clemson, which is too chummy with the HVSEI, uh, and have thrown us under the bus with overblown conclusions a few too many times. I get uh, the keep your enemies close thing, but I just don't have the chops to back it up. So before I go on to read his second email, I'll just point out that he was happily willing to work with Data and Society. Data and Society is a, um, is a think tank, and they produce some of these graphs. Now, he might consider them to be amazing people, but they are in fact not because one of the studies that they put out a few years ago uh, highlighted Tim Pool as the uh, center for uh, 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 neo-Nazi activity because he had a bunch of you know people who were connected to neo-Nazis on his show. And by connected, I mean they had maybe spoken to them once on a podcast or maybe they followed them on Twitter. Yeah, so, and it's also worth noting what, what year work. this came from. This came from 2020. I just want people to have this in perspective because obviously these these things changed over the last couple of years too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and they have a very bad track record. I mean, it's a it's a far left organization. It's run by a really, uh, I mean, group of people that that you know, if you listen to them speak at the Atlantic Council because they go to all these events, you know, they go to the Aspen Institute and so on. Um, not the best folks for, you know, for trusting, uh, you know, when it comes to data integrity, because they certainly have a narrative to push. And part of that narrative includes, uh, you know, going after people like Stephen Crowder and Tim Poole as, as far-right disinformation activists or something. This is what they put out. So the second email is from Carlos Monge, 
I'm continuing here. He wrote, uh, he says, yeah, we should not go with RAND because they're too close to the DOD. And then they have a bunch of different institutes here. Some, uh, you know, they recommend Charles Cox Institute, which is, um, you know, the Koch brothers. Yeah, Charles Koch. Uh, they said that he was very helpful on CDA 230 issues. Therefore, they should be included. The R Street Institute, which is conservative and serious, industry-friendly think tank in town. The Open Societies Foundation. Wow. Okay. And they have an emerging disinfo practice, but are also looking for a um, dollar sign. That's kind of weird. So it's like, that's Soros, isn't it? Open Society Foundations? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Huh. So they were so, happily so... willing to work with Soros. That so, is so just give us a quick, yeah. Can can you give us a quick overview, Ian? Um, Slayman will be listening to the hearing right now, so yeah. he'll be jumping in and so out with any updates. Overview. But just yeah, overview yeah. of what you shred as well, just for the audience. Yeah, so overview up to like you know from number six to number twelve is that the uh, the Twitter was more than willing to work with some of these organizations, not so much with others. Like they were suspicious of the government and its involvement in in basically directing policy. However, they were more than happy to work with organizations like uh, uh, Data and Society and the Open Society Foundations um, and the Charles Koch and Institute. Those... And they they gave it they gave a list of those organizations, correct? Correct. Yeah, they gave a list. They, they even included. You know, it's quite funny. They have the Atlantic Council on here. Uh, they have the Brookings Institute, and they have the NDI. I mean, these are very partisan organizations. I won't say partisan in the sense that they are pro democracy or pro, you know pro democrat or pro republican. It's not so much that. It's more like they are pro. They've uh, got their own agenda. They have their agenda, and it's very well, poor government, I would say. Yeah. I, I would be careful in categorizing them all in the same group. Brookings no, obviously not. They all have different, different purposes. For Atlantic sure. Council is centrist. Um, mm. The Carnegie Endowment. But they're all pro-war, right? Keep that in mind. Atlantic Council is pro-war in, in Russia. Well. Uh, I do just want to make one point about Ukraine, which is that uh, I would bear in mind that there is a spectrum here, as always, right? I'm firmly against not being able to even remotely criticize Ukraine or, or information or the government or Zelensky versus just, uh, you know, like Jackson Hinkle level of just promoting anything pro-Russia at all, right? If, if that's the case in terms of suppression, then I would be banned from YouTube because I speak ill of Ukraine in, in certain contexts. So I think, again, everything's on a spectrum and we should always just keep that in mind when we talk about these things. And everything's on a spectrum, but the problem is that these emails are from very early on in the war, and we know at that time there was complete censorship of anti-Ukraine sentiment, pro-Russian, to the extent where athletes were banned, people lost their jobs, so on and so forth. So, do you not think that that needs to be these emails need to be considered in in terms of when they were sent as well at that time and place, as opposed to now, where people are a lot more comfortable talking about these things? So you're, so, 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 if I understand you correctly, you're saying it's a surprise that the American government and the West generally were trying to uh, find a way to adequately respond to the singular worst uh, invasion and uh, wartime crisis since the Second World War on Europe's doorstep. That's an absurd... No, no, that's not what I said, Piotr. That's uh, what I said was... It's also an exaggeration. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, civilians that's just, dead uh, and you're saying it's the single yeah, yeah. worst thing. I mean, how many people died in Syria? When no, but not only that. We're not no, but I think, I, think I would say... I would say... I would say yeah, like the, 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 the number... I wouldn't... I wouldn't I wouldn't a war how 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 dangerous a war is not just by the number of people that died. The bombing of Belgrade uh, the, in 1999. Yeah, Does not, anyone but, want to talk about that one? Our direct yeah, again, but not, not only yeah, that. Anyway, get back. I'll get back to the point. Go ahead, no, no, but so Piotr is missing the point because it's not about the severity of the war, Piotr. We're talking about censorship 
And mm-hmm. so at that time, censorship was at uh, extreme levels. It isn't now where you're able to quite easily... Uh, if you let me finish, Piotr, because uh, I know you'll take a while to respond. Um, um, it, it isn't like now where you're able to join a number of spaces and give your uh, position or where a, a lot of us are allowed to give the other alternative view. But at that time, there was complete and utter censorship where anyone who said anything that was pro-Russia was banned. Athletes weren't allowed to compete in sports that they worked all their lives to play in. I was was allowed to say stuff, mate, Suleiman. Equally, I find your question to be a little bit confusing. Um, That's just not true. I was in spaces debating uh, the severity of the situation and whether or not we should be giving greater uh, voices to Russian perspectives. I wasn't censored, so sorry, but I just don't agree with you. You're, you're, don't. You're going so, so the athletes weren't banned. Athletes weren't banned for being Russian. The orchestra. There was a guy who was who was leading an orchestra, and because he said he was neutral, he wasn't removed from his position. That didn't happen. Well, I thought you are you talking about Twitter only, or just about generally places? I'm talking about general censorship. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. If you're talking about Wimbledon and the audacity for that bloody bunch of the All Lawns Club to remove even Russian or Belarusian entities from playing on the game. Yes, but that's not really what I would classify as censorship. That's a little bit different. Uh, that's no, just no, that's, that's, that's an example that, of it. But for example, do you remember the Italian... Do you remember when, do you remember when people who were... Do you remember when people were pro-Russian and they were getting banned from their jobs, even if they, if they didn't vocally say anti-Putin comments? You cut out. What did you say? I said, do you remember in the news where a number of people were basically banned? So I remember a, a, a specific case where there was an Italian orchestra and because he was neutral in his comments, you don't was even removed from that, that position. Suleiman, YouTube bans people for being pro-Russia, even right now. No, they didn't ban people. No, they do. They, they ban you for being pro-Russia. You, you, like, that's Jackson. the reason why Jackson Hingles banned you on YouTube. nuts and need to be... Um, pre- and, and, uh, and, and, and Twitter also now has a rule that says you cannot glorify war. Even though it's not really implemented, nobody really follows it, and you know they're not enforcing it. It's there, though. If, if you downplay the severity of what they call a war crime, or if you try to uh, present alternative narratives, Twitter can, under its own terms and services, even right now, ban you for it. The only reason no one is being banned for being very critical of Ukraine is because this is such a muddy situation that I don't think they feel comfortable taking action against it. However, if it, you know, if um, if these think tanks had their way, uh, you would be banned for even questioning what happened at Buka or that who bombed that that railroad station, you know, the, the railway station that you know a few dozen people died. About a month ago. The Moldovian country was under risk, right? And a bunch of people, even some in this room, were making bold claims that the Ukrainians were set to launch a incursion into Moldova to destroy a strategic nuclear site, uh, not nuclear, just strategic military site, and so on. Since then, we have not heard anything. And that is because it was all bollocks drummed up by the Russian side of this narrative to stimulate a disinformation on this app. If it was genuinely by the Ukrainians to do so, why haven't we heard anything since? And this is my point. I've not people heard any of get, that. Uh, what you're yeah, I don't think it was. No I don't think it was this space. I'm not sure if it was this space. Nobody on the space said it. Like, oh, maybe, maybe, not... maybe it was one of the. Maybe it was Russian the space. But either, either way, I, I think like, um, I follow a lot of Russian uh, uh, accounts, and I've not heard them speaking about this. I don't know what accounts you follow, but you know that. I no, but I think I think there's there's gonna be but there's gonna be misinformation on both sides of of oh, yeah, of the aisle on both sides of every argument. I think it's common. I think they. But I I don't know what Piotr like Piotr. Before we move on, like, are you arguing there was no censorship? 
for people that were critical of Ukraine or, or supportive of Russia? Is it, I just want to make sure, is that what you, you said or I, I misunderstood? So I think, again, it, I think we need to decompartmentalize what we're talking about. If we're talking about physical prevention of people going to sports events, if you're forcing... No, I'd say uh, social media, social media censorship, social media. Social media, yeah, there have been um, clampdowns on, on people in certain contexts, absolutely. Uh, and I'm against certain people from being so, you know, if I'm going to be uh, restricted in my uh, vocal criti- criticisms of Ukraine, that's not good. I haven't been. But I think there's a way you do it and you have to make sure that your claims are at least grounded in somewhat of evidence. As I said, I used the example of the Moldovan Ukrainian crises about a month ago as illustration that people will drum up uh, worries and concerns about something. Well, Peel, what's the solution for that? Is your solution basically that Ian or anyone else who claimed whatever you say they claim should be kicked off of spaces and not be able to say those things? Or what are you saying? They could be wrong. And still be allowed to say things. Are you saying people should preemptively be right about everything they say? I think they need to do their research first, Justin, um, and not just so, right. If I did my research first, I'd be still sitting around with no job whatsoever instead of fighting the government against COVID policies. Well, COVID policies isn't the Russian-Ukrainian war, is it? So, what are we talking about? Yeah, but it's the same. I'm saying it's the same sort of misinformation. Yes, but misinformation elected. Who gives you you the right to decide? Who gives you or the government a right to decide what is true and what is not? Why do you get to decide that this is misinformation because it goes against our narrative? So when you say that, say, you know, that Buka was orchestrated by Russians and they they were killing civilians, when you say stuff like that and I say, no, there's evidence to the contrary, and you say, no, you're promoting disinformation – to me, that is like you're telling you're, you're telling me to not believe my eyes and ears, and that you are right and I am wrong, and that there can be no two ways about it. You're telling me that there are five lights, and that in fact there are only four, but you're saying there are five lights up there, and you will admit that there are five lights, and one plus one equals five. You know, like this is this is 1984. Ian, this is Ian, well, Ian, Ian, you hit such an important point. Glenn Greenwald talked about this. Basically, this idea of disinformation is being used to so- stop dissent against the mainstream media narrative. That's actually what's happening here. And correct. I mean, we've got how many hundreds and thousands of different media outlets? This MSM, this MSM narrative is, is very boring. It's like the BBC is not media outlets, outlets and who are they dominated not, by? Who owns Fox News? Sinclair These are all different organizations, guys. Yes, some of them are owned by Singular. The majority are owned by Sinclair. I'll go, I'll go, guys. I wanna, I wanna, let me, let me get, let me get Aaron. Aaron, before going to trash and, and, uh, I mean, Aaron, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts. Good to have you on the panel. Yeah, thanks. Say they claim should be kicked off of spaces and you hit such an important point. Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald talked about this. Basically, this idea of disinformation is being used to so- stop dissent against the mainstream media narrative. That's actually what's happening here. And correct. I think yeah, that's, and, that's and correct. again, so the I'm mainstream media narrative, I mean, we've got how many hundreds and thousands of different media outlets? This MSM, this MSM narrative is, is very boring. It's like the BBC is not media out outlets, and who are they dominated by? Who owns Fox News? These are all different organizations, guys. Yes, some of them are owned by Singular. The majority are owned by Sinclair. In I'll, the, I'll go, I'll go, guys. I wanna, I wanna. Let me, let me get, let me get Aaron. Aaron, before going to trash and and uh, I mean, Aaron, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts. Good to have you on the panel. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Um, I just want to bring the conversation back to state-sponsored censorship because people keep talking about social media censorship. But this is state-sponsored censorship that we're seeing. And in prior Twitter spaces, uh, when we've gotten into arguments about 
whether or not this state is acting to basically affect censorship, the, the, the counter argument is always that, well, the state is just cooperating with or trying to be helpful to social media companies. They're not coercing them. They're not pressuring them. I think we have a lot of evidence that that's not true. But I, I've made the claim in the past that uh, it doesn't have to be the case that they are coercive or pressuring. There's many different ways that the Supreme Court has established uh, uh, that constitute state action. I just want to go through uh, two or three of those just so people are aware. Um, so state action uh, can result certainly when the state exercises coercive power over a private entity. That's pretty obvious. I think I think nobody on this panel uh, would be in favor of, of that. Um, but <clears throat> Prior precedent also says uh, that this occurs when states provide significant encouragement, either overt or covert, to private conduct. So this is from a case called Luger v. Edmondson Oil. That one we've seen. That one we've seen. Right. That one that we've seen in previous files. Exactly. Here's here's another one uh, that the, the courts have. This is from a case called Evans v. Newton uh, back in 1966. Uh, state action can occur when the private action is, quote, entwined with governmental policies or when the government is, quote, entwined in its, uh, its, meaning the private company's management or control. So that's arguably going on here when you have this weird enmeshment of these public and private entities that are working hand in glove. I'll cite one more case. Um, This is Skinner v. Railway Labor Executives. This is a case from 1989. Um, So in addition, specific features of the government action may combine to create a compelling case for state action, especially uh, when a federal statute has immunized private conduct. So if the the state basically provides any sort of legal uh, protection for an entity to engage in a particular kind of behavior, you could argue Section 230. Uh, does that for social media companies. And one of the things that we cite in the Missouri v. Biden case over and over are written uh, examples of the state threatening to remove Section 230 protections from social media companies if they don't engage in additional censorship. So there's, there's multiple different ways. And just to sum up, number one, significant encouragement. Number two, overt coercion. Everyone's against that. Number three, joint participation is kind of weird enmeshment. And then number four, legal immunity combined with other factors, which arguably the we're going to take away Section 230 protection if you don't start removing misinformation, which has been said over and over and over again by multiple um, uh, politicians, both in the executive right. and the <laughs> legislative branch. So I, I just wanted to put that out there so that people can understand that coercion is not the only way that the government can be guilty of uh, censorship when dealing with private companies. So when you say, can you say, can you elaborate, when you say guilty of censorship, what do you mean? Like, what can we expect? Like if the government is guilty of censorship, is there a process for this? Uh, <laughs> what action yeah. could, could, I mean, could you take in the court of law? That's a really good question. I mean, let, let's say we prevail in this case. Uh, that would mean that this whole apparatus needs to be dismantled um, or the government needs to remove itself entirely from this uh, censorship 
industry. I suppose the private censorship industry could still exist on its own, but it basically won't be able to have any interaction with uh, the state or with representatives of this. Sorry, guys, just to give you an update, they're just um, swearing in right now, so we'll probably be giving you updates as we go along. Apologies. Oh, no problem. That's for the, uh, all good, all good. You can, uh, yes, whenever there's updates, just interrupt, never hesitate. Um, That's a live testimony is happening um, now with Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi. I think your Roth is there as well, or am I wrong? Clemens, your Roth there? Yeah, I saw a video, but I think that was just a recap. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because he was there for the last time. I wasn't watching, I was on the space. Do you mind yeah, if I think Schellenberger, yeah, so Sh- yeah, yeah, in, in a bit, Piotr, if you don't mind. Um, Schellenberger will be starting. He'll speak for, for five minutes now, so I'll just give you those updates. The team is sending it through in a group. Before going to Piotr, if you don't mind, I want to get trash and... Uh, I mean to come in. But this one last question, Aaron, if you could keep it short, because yeah. I do want um, Ian to continue going through the files. Very, very quick question. Who could lead such uh, <laughs> such legal action? Like, why, why don't social media platforms come together? And again, it, my questions sound naive because yeah. I'm learning this. Can the social media platforms come together and, and take any sort of action? Well, they, they certainly could if they wanted to. But right now it looks like they're they're willing to be – they're not willing to challenge the state, uh, either because they're they're afraid of – regulation, those implicit threats or explicit threats in some cases in the background, they're afraid of losing Section 230 protections or whatever. So, um, But we have, but we, Aaron, but we have, we have, so we had Mark Andreessen on the show and he said that other social media platforms are watching the Twitter files, quote unquote, experiment. So if oh, Elon yeah, sure. succeeds in what he's doing and he's heading in the right path, if he succeeds, could that give other social media platforms the courage? Because, you know, again, we've seen um, hesitancy or even resistance on, on, uh, yeah. within Twitter on a lot of the requests that we're getting. That's in previous Twitter files. And that's both from the left and the right. We've seen similar resistance in other countries that were even stricter in terms of censorship. That includes China, includes India, and the list goes on. So considering this, again, there was limited resistance in many cases, but there still was. So there are st- still employees in those social media platforms that oppose censorship. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, now, if view, they see if they see Elon doing well with Twitter, yeah, could they sure. could, could that give them the courage yeah, they needed you know, in the next few years? It, it might. That's a really good point. I you know companies are risk averse just by nature. But if the if the tide really starts to turn, let's say let's say we get a win in this case. Let's say maybe there's there's another case filed by other states or by uh, private citizens who have been censored. And those start prevailing. That might encourage the social media companies to say, yeah, we've had enough of this shit. We're going to get on board. We're going to, you know, we're going to file our own lawsuit and push back as well. That wouldn't surprise me. I just don't think they're going to be the first ones out of the gate that, you know, uh, to quote Moneyball, the mm. first one through the wall always gets bloody. So they're going to let other people go through the wall, kind of break this open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then they may, and I, they may follow suit as like a cleanup hitter. I don't. I'm not hopeful. I'll be honest, uh, and I think the last testimony kind of shows um, that it's it's unlikely anything will change. Look, Aaron, just seeing the response to the revelations we're seeing about the lab leak theory—that a virus that killed millions of people around the world—and um, some people compared to like a new world war, the biggest threat to humanity. I know it was over exaggerated, uh, but it was you know the whole world was shut down, impacted our lives, killed millions. And we found out it possibly came from a lab that links back to 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 Fauci and potentially links back to Fauci and others in the U.S. The response, the lack of response, really surprised me. It's something that yeah, major. Me too. I think if we're not going to act on something to that extent, <laughs> right. 
I don't see it. the Twitter files is not that major. We'll see what the Fauci files include. I'm just really surprised by the response to the lab leak theory. Like I thought when when the report came out by the Department of Energy, I think it was. I thought the world was gonna explode. I tell my team guys we're gonna do one of the biggest spaces. All the media's gonna cover it. Like this is fucking mental. Um, and no one talked about it. Barely got shared. Got a bit of traction. We did a big space on it. And that's it. People forgot. It's crazy. Crazy. Uh, but hey, I do want to go to, to yeah, go one market. Mark, can, can I pop in? Can I pop in there yeah, real quick? Man. Just real, one thing I wanted to say to that, because there are two things we're fighting here. The one thing that we're fighting is what we're talking about. What's the degree to which the government is trying to press this narrative by using secondary and, and tertiary actors, uh, NGOs and Twitter and, and Facebook and so forth. That's one thing we're fighting. We've been fighting that battle now for some months, two, three, maybe some could argue up to five, six years. That is pushing a narrative and has gotten a narrative going forward. My friend Peter Schweitzer had a, a, a movie and uh, that he put together, a documentary called The Creepy Line, where he documented the ways that Facebook and Google were using social science to uh, move behavior back before they were specifically trying to uh, uh, have specific content pushed, but they were just trying to manipulate the way people thought because of how they would present searches and information. That, that uh, after the Trump after Trump Your came in just... led to it, that that after Trump came in led to uh, what we've saw, seen with Twitter files, but now we've got a public opinion that has gone to a certain place. And, and we're fighting that also. So when you're, when you're thinking about how people reacted to the revelations of a lab leak and it not being very strong, well, that's after many years of manipulation, three years in particular on that issue. Yeah. Just, and now we got to like, fight this, that. This became, became old news. Like I think if the lab leak theory came out without any censorship during COVID, that's an argument to make. Like, actually, I'm not going to even dare make that argument, but like if it came out during COVID, I think the world would have just, the response would have been significantly, significantly different. But that could be completely wrong. But, but uh, it kind of did, I, and it was shut down, keep in mind. It did come out Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, it shut down before it reached the mainstream. Now it's become the mainstream, and people are like, yeah. Like doctors that consider, you know, I considered it a conspiracy back then, but doctors that considered it a conspiracy talk about it like it's a, it's the more plausible scenario. Now, I've seen it live in our spaces, Jim. I won't name people, but we've had doctors in our spaces that were dismissing it in the early days of the Twitter of the COVID discussions that we had, the early spaces. We, they were dismissed it, argued against it. Uh, I think, you know, Brian is, you know, Brian is, is part of the crew. So I could tell Brian um, was, Brian, if you remember, Brian, are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Do you remember in the early days how you and others were very dismissive of it? And then as more and more revelations came through throughout the spaces, you started accepting it as a more and more plausible. And eventually you said a few, a week or two ago, you said it's 50-50 that it leaked from a lab. It's just we saw that happen live and it was just so gradual that it didn't give that – didn't have that impact that would have um, you know, led to you know, change or, or response um, – but, from people, but I, I do want to continue with the files. So go ahead, Brian, and I'll continue with the files. With trash, I need to continue with Ian. Yeah, I, I think that the more information we have, the better. And, and I, I think I think ideas evolve, and, and as information comes out, we start we start understanding things better. And I'm, I'm not blaming it on the government. The fact that this lab leak theory is now 
kind of a 50-50 thing. I'm blaming it on more just we didn't have information. Maybe the government had some of that information. I think that a lot of information is continuing to be I wanna, discovered. I want to ask you a question, Brian. And this is like, – I'm not scared to ask questions that might be very unpopular, but the, the questions nonetheless. Is there – and this is, again, a question before I start getting hate messages. But is there a place um, where censorship, intentional censorship – but temporary censorship makes sense. Again, I'm, I'm one of the people arguing against censorship through these spaces. But I'll give you an example. If there's a piece of information that you know could lead to people going on the streets and just you know responding very negatively. So you censor the story and slowly release it as people start to cool down. That's happened multiple times. That happens all the time. Censorship that's calculated and that's, that's temporary. Is is there an argument for such censorship, or there should never be any censorship? If there's going to be a negative response, so be it. Maybe Brian, you can kick off that answer and we'll continue with the discussion. So, 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 I mean, it's I, like the police are looking for a bad guy and they know where he is. But no, I mean, I mean, let's off, say maybe don't tell the media. No, let's say let's say there's a well, Mario, let's, they let's say did that with the balloon. They did that with the balloon. If you think about it, right? The the, 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 the American DOD and military knew that the balloon was going to enter American airspace, but they didn't release information about it prior because they didn't want the American public to begin freaking out or to reveal too much information before they had a better chance to understand what the balloon was capable of what it was intentions were or at least what they yeah so do you think Piotr, do you think sense, do you think that's censorship and i'm not saying intelligence well, I, i'm not saying intelligence i'm censorship saying censorship i think is there's a, there's a duty of and again i'm not trying to go down too much of a rabbit hole with this but i think there's a duty of governments to um be tactful and um uh, timing in of when they release certain information because otherwise the fallout could lead to far worse consequences either internally or externally true, true, yeah. national well, they security um and so they should have censored the, the eagles losing i want to make that very clear i don't agree with the over sort of core core control uh, the government thinks that it has the right you know not the people to determine what and what shouldn't be released when and how but i do think that there's a component to that that needs to be kept in mind if we're talking yeah. about something that could lead to significant escalation in a war. Yeah, if you start, exactly, if, if, exactly, exactly. If you censor information that could lead to war and you know it could lead to war and, and, and uh, you know, the military-industrial complex using that information to drum up support for war. What about, um, what about riots? Uh, if you censor such information... There's a big... Oh, right. That's another example. If you censor information that could... I, I, just, I, I don't know who said this, but that's a good point. Right. That was yeah. something I was thinking so of. Should, if you, you censor information... Delay the... Uh, the is that you, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, it is Kyle. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you yeah. Don't want the, you don't want... Do, what do you think, Kyle? They lost the Super Bowl. You don't want them to understand that because they might flip over cars and burn things. We probably shouldn't release the results of some of the sports games that happen uh, in the NBA playoffs because that could get violent, too. Like, the, the line you walk down gets really, really dumb and dangerous really, really fast. And so if the government is trying to have an outcome on how people may or may not, we don't get a red ball um, in the, from the precogs. This is not minority report. So they can't do that. <laughs> There's a reason why the American system yeah. is the way it is. It's not supposed to weigh in on censorship in any way, shape or form. And the results are things that they can react to after the fact. You can't be censoring this stuff. And here's the other thing. The intelligence community has known the lab leak theory has been probably the most likely thing since early 2020. It's been classified since then. I don't know when uh, Chris Ray got it uh, declassified to talk about it. But it's been classified and it's been passed around and it's been things that people wanted to disclose to Congress and couldn't because it was classified. So apparently they released and that and a, now they're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, so we yeah, talk yeah, about Carl, it. There's two different things you. going on here. Listen, it's, it's one thing for the government to say we have information that we do not want to disclose to the public for whatever reason. The government is not required to say everything it knows all the time. Tell people where our spies are. 
Whatever. No, but I'm not saying no, no, Aaron, Aaron, that's different. No, no, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. That's different. Yeah, giving information and the government censoring American citizens. Yeah, exactly. Who are exactly a topic, which it can never do, even for a good outcome, even to prevent. Well, first of all, this utilitarian calculus that we could do this to prevent, you know, bad things from happening. The problem with utilitarian ethics is that, first of all, it's open to abuse, right? Because you can always make up some story about what's going to happen. If we do this, and second of all, you don't actually know what's going to happen. You may think that the American people are going to respond this way. You may even be right that the American people will respond in this way, but you don't know that the American people will respond in this way. Uh, and you have to respect citizens enough to allow them to pursue the truth, right? You, you don't I, I manipulate them. I do. Hold on, hold on, Piotr. Hold on, hold on, guys, guys, guys. Yeah, before before you do so, um, I do want to just kind of structure the the space. Um, trash and, and I memes. I know you've been waiting for a while. I'll give you the mic right after we go through another section of the files. But before that, Kim, I see your hand up. Um, would love to get your thoughts before Ian continues with the with the files. Yeah, I just want to weigh in on one thing. You guys may remember when the Biden administration came in. Joe Biden requested from the intelligence community a report about the origin of COVID-19. The report came back inconclusive, saying that it's highly likely or more likely that it is a natural uh, born virus. Now you have the same intelligence community blaming China for a lab leak, uh, accusing them that they haven't put the systems in place uh, to keep the facility secure. So now that the evidence, the scientific evidence is there that the furin uh, cleavage site was manipulated in the lab and that DNA was insert, inserted into this virus to make it transmissible to humans, and it is clear that this research was funded by the U.S. government uh, through Equal Health Alliance. Now, suddenly, the tune is changing, and the intelligence community, which lied to us before about the origin, is now saying China is to blame. It's ridiculous. Well, Kim, I'll just point out that, you know, four or five of the U.S. agencies still align with it, a natural cause. Two of them have since come out and said it's possibly a lab leak, and then two are undecided, including the CIA. So well, the FBI no director has gone. The, the FBI director has gone on a tour uh, in the mainstream media, uh, pointing the finger at, at China because now it's becoming clear that the U.S. is the culprit, that they have funded this research, that uh, Fauci lied. Now you're losing to, me. Now that, you're losing. that Fauci lied to the uh, to the Senate in his testimony that he was actually falsifying uh, data, uh, keeping. Uh, you know, evidence uh, under wraps and uh, and uh, fun funding scientists to write a report that claimed that this was a natural occurrence. So everything that is happening here, once again, uh, you know, the U.S. government is now trying to deflect and point the finger at China when it should be clear to everyone that this virus was created uh, by the United States government. So we do have some updates, Slayman. Uh, do you want to go through some of the points that you've got from the, I see them in the group, that you've got from the uh, testimony, or you want to do it in a bit? Or I think he's still listening. So we do have a few points coming in. Uh, Slayman will be reading them out. I'll ping him now. Uh, otherwise, Ian, do you want to go through a few more tweets in the thread before Slayman jumps in with updates from oh, the well, testimony, I'm, and then we'll go to Trash I'm and... I'm uh... something right now. Can you, uh, can you, can you just keep talking? Or have someone else <laughs> yeah, sure. Can, okay, I, uh, can I ask a question to Carl, Mario? I've got a uh, question for Carl. 
about. Oh, Carl, um, yeah, yeah, in a, in a bit, Piotr. I just want trash, sorry, if you don't mind, Mario. trash and I memes. Yes, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was giving you the mic. Yeah, exactly. Get, get tell us what yeah, you sorry, have. Yeah, just a very brief update. So we've had um, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Hirby do this opening. And uh, just to summarize, Schellenberger said that there was state-sponsored censorship of American citizens. Intelligence agencies were working with other agencies to censor the American people. Psychological manipulation that was used against terrorist organizations such as, such as ISIS was then used and deployed against American citizens. Um, uh, used and deployed against American citizens. Uh, that was Schellenberger's one. And then Matt Hiebe said, similar but slightly different, the Twitter and the government... Uh, the sorry, t- Twitter and the government relationship impacted on censorship of both the left and the right, so it affected people from both the aisles. So everyone should be concerned. Yeah, everyone should be concerned. Uh, government agencies with quasi entities in- were involved in uh, censorship, and those qua- quasi entities were up to uh, no, twenty different entities. The corporate media partook in censorship. They be- essentially became the arm of the state as opposed to holding the state account. And we are in danger of losing our First Amendment right. Mm. And so I, what I could do as well, uh, before we start commenting on this, Slayman, I know you're putting it into a thread and tweeting the clips as well. So if you want, you can send them through in the group and uh, I could read them for the audience as well. I know because I don't want you to miss parts of the testimony if you like, but I want to go to, to trash discourse. Um, we're in danger of losing our First Amendment. Um, do you need some over-exaggeration or do you genuinely think there is such a danger um, of losing that uh, that important uh, important right that we have? Uh, no, I <clears throat> I think it's beyond in danger. I think it's, it's, it's crept beyond that. And actually, I'm glad you came to me at this time because this was going to be a perfect opportunity because I was kind of looking through Mario the next few uh, the next the next few posts in this thread. And I felt it was going to be very, very important to kind of reset a little bit of and understand what the censorship apparatus is. And so Name and I, um, I've gone through a lot of his work. We've, we've deep dived his stuff in our spaces. And <clears throat> I, I it, need to break this down because like the last Twitter files, we saw the Global Engagement Center files, right? And this is this massive apparatus. It's not just social media. It's mainstream media. It's entertainment. It's got its hands in everything. Okay. And so... If this is like this broad apparatus that's being run by these by these interagencies, and so it's not an actual agency itself, it's an interagency group of like nine different agencies within the government that are all collaborating together to make this censorship apparatus work. But but that's just part of it. The other part of it is what Name Redacted's thread has, right? You've got the Foreign Maligned Influence Center, right? FMIC, which used to be the DHA, DHS disinfo. Uh, board, but they obviously got rid of that in like 30 days. You've got people like Shelby Pearson under the Office of the Director of National Intelligence as the elections are. You've got people like Bill Evanina, who is at the top of this uh, subsetting, working with CISA, CISA, sorry, and all of these different interagencies that are working uh, to put together this censorship apparatus for both people on both sides. Here's the dangerous part of this. So people in here are talking about you should not be able to put disinformation or wrong information out there that may incite something. The problem is because of this level of censorship and narrative control, a lot of people are unable to discern what's real and what's not. I'll give you an example. Russia just goes into Ukraine. I saw this video that went viral. 
of all these jets and oh my god jets are flying into ukraine and people believe that because they're not getting information anywhere they don't understand what they're seeing because it's been so heavily censored and crafted that all when they see this they're like oh my god it was a video game it was literally a video game so the danger i believe of censorship whether good or bad is that people are unable to discern what is true and what is not so you've got this massive apparatus. The government's crafting this narrative. You have to believe this. We need pro-Ukraine. We need Russia bad. We need COVID scary. We need all these things. People are unable to discern what is BS and what is real when they read it. People like us who are hyper-engaged, it, it doesn't take me very long to discern what's real and what's not. Because I know how to cross-check and I know how to look at things and I can figure it out like that. But the average person has been prevented from doing that because everything's been so carefully crafted. So your question, and I appreciate that, Mario, is our First Amendment rights under attack? It's beyond under attack. It's beyond threatened. It has completely been removed. And only until now have we had a glimpse of what that actually means and how that worked. And we have government agencies working across all medium and all platforms, not just social media, print media, legacy media, mainstream media, entertainment, all of it. And they, and, and they have been able to craft what they want you to think. And from that point on, that's, that is very, very dangerous because then people can't discern, be objective, and use critical thinking, which I believe ultimately is the goal. Uh, Brian, jump in, man. Yeah. And, and I'd like I to jump in. You know what? Because yeah, go this ahead, subject, can I jump in? Because this yeah, is course, right. Okay. Hi. Thanks, Mario, for uh, having me. By the way, you know what? I can follow you back. I see that I unfollowed you magically. I don't know how it happened. But um, you know, what, talking about about censorship, you know, I became victim. Actually, I'm in jail right now because a few days ago, when was it? A week ago, when uh, there was a celebration and support of Ukraine in uh, DC, people who showed up with flags, different flags, and you know, in support of the war in Ukraine and support Ukraine. So I went to the somebody's threat who was uh, very happy about this uh, display and being Polish I took a kind of fence in this cold celebration because I saw uh, flags of uh, neo-Nazi groups and you know what and people I believe people are very ignorant there's a lot of Americans they don't know the history of Europe and you know as a as a Polish person, I took offense of it, and I actually posted some pictures, and they got to me actually today and put me, because of them, in jail. I got pictures of neo-Nazis from my friends from Poland. They escaped. They're refugees. They need neo-Nazis. They're from Azov Battalion. And I was talking to them about, you know what, I was trying to share some light on uh, you are UIA, which was uh, Ukrainian insurgent army, they was responsible for a death of thousands. I mean, talking about thousands and thousands of Polish people in during World War II. They were uh, they uh, sided with Nazis. They basically, you know what, everything what Nazis stand for, they ran with it. And people in D.C. actually were celebrating them. And, I understand. You know, I, I, 
I appreciate you sharing this. And, and you said you went to jail for two days. Is that what you said? Or I missed No, I'm in jail right now. I'm in jail right now. I'm in jail right now because they do. So if, if we're talking about censorship. How? Twitter jail or real jail? Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, I'm, sorry. No, I'm, I'm at home, but I'm in Twitter jail. Tweet more. Oh, okay. You know what? Okay, I, you got me. You got, I thought you were calling us from. Uh, you're joining yeah, from jail. Like, I'm like, where'd you get? Where'd you no, get a I'm phone from? Right no, that's why I can't. Oh, I understand. Go back. I like. Okay, sorry, I wasn't clear. I understand. Not all good. I appreciate. Right I appreciate you sharing the story. You. Thank you. No, I, I, I understand. I understand. I appreciate sharing this. And Brian, before you jump in, Piotr, I'll let you quickly take the mic, um, and and then Brian, the mic is yours. Also, trash. Um, you can help us moderate because I know me and Slayman are walk, working with the testimony in the background, and I know you moderate spaces, so it'd be good to have you help. But Piotr, mic is yours, man. I yeah, thanks. To say, probably. I just want to. I just want to point out a couple of points, and then I'll, I'll pass back. So very quickly, one, uh, you know, we've we've got a predominant narrative on the stage or one side of this matter. Right? I I lean slightly different to many people. In principle, I'm not against uh, freedom of speech and censorship, but I do think that there's a difference between. Uh, making inferences based on reasonable assessments and information versus bold claims, right? So I was agreeing with Kim to a certain point, and then he came out with his last point that this that COVID was orchestrated by the US government. That's where I don't agree. Uh, I'm not trying to reopen that or revisit that. I'm just using that as an example of where I, you know, dif- distinguish. Um, a second example, um, as I said before, right, um, you, you had a good space yesterday. I listened to the replay uh, on Project Veritas, right? And what I think is interesting is how much um, a hysteria and concern there was about a month, what, six weeks ago about the leak of, of that video concerning the COVID vaccine and, and, and so on. But what happened subsequently? The head of uh, Project Veritas, James, has been let go or fired. And what I think is interesting, and I said this in another space, which actually made quite a lot of people sit up and listen, is that if Project Veritas is an entity, are not going to be open with you about them letting go of someone or be open as to why they did that. Can you really trust them as an alternative source of information? Why would they fire or let go James if it was genuinely something that wasn't an internal problem? So my point being is that when we have skepticisms and concerns about mainstream media, Everybody's doing it. Even the alternative media outlets that you seek to for genuine transparency may well have malign or subjective um, uh, influences as well. So never question everything. It's a valid point. I just I wouldn't put mainstream media in the same basket as social media. Like the I'd put mainstream media as like the, the, the yeah, but you know, Project Veritas is more if it's not mainstream media. I wouldn't put media and social media in the same basket. I'll tell you why. Media is, you know, is media. It's bias, unbiased. It's just, a, it's, 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 it's a way to, to distribute information. Social media is essentially replacing, it, you know, life itself. Like when, when you used to go down on the street, sit with your friends, have a coffee, and talk. Those discussions are having, uh, are all happening on social media. So a censorship by social media is going to have significantly more impact than Fox News censoring certain information or CNN censoring certain information. That's why I consider it like the centralization of power within social media platforms is incomparable to, to the media. Um, so it's just an important distinction that we've talked about in previous spaces. I do agree with your point, though, yeah, is that censorship is, exists. If it's not the if it's not the government, um, it, it's going to be private everybody institutions. Everybody has an agenda, is what I'm saying. Even Project Veritas and bias, agenda and, and bias, bias. Yeah. and bias. You know, like if, even if, the ones that don't, even their even if their agenda is to be honest and share facts. Like our agenda right now, or what I try to do with the spaces is I try to share facts. 
I'm sure I'm going to be biased at times. It's impossible not to be uh, or to be completely unbiased. And I try my best not to be. When even, you know, you've got AI, that's, um, like it's just nothing that's unbiased because even AI is created by humans, they have their own biases. Uh, so it's a very valid uh, point. Um, I do want to, if you don't mind, uh, uh, Brian, I know you've had your hand up for a while. Not sure if uh, another that Slayman is going to have more information from the testimony that's ongoing right now. Ian, are you back with us before I give the mic to Brian just so I know if you can go through the thread? Or hey, if, guys, uh, just, just, just really quick, Thank Mario, you. I just quickly want to respond because, again, P- Piotr doesn't have uh, the information to uh, talk about a matter that he doesn't know about. So I pinned a tweet to the top, which is a space I did with the vice president of EcoHealth Alliance about the origin of COVID-19. All you have to do is listen to that to understand how the U.S. government funded this research, how Firetree is directly responsible for it, and how the U.S. government is directly responsible for the creation of COVID-19. So just listen to that. Don't listen to Piotr. It's been I a while, guys. You haven't gone back and forth. Uh, I'll go. Everybody. I'll go to. Go back and forth now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brian will go. We'll go. It's been a while, guys. I miss it. Uh, Brian, Mike is yours. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to touch on the First Amendment, but I, I mean, the conversation kind of pulled away from that, so I'm fine if you move forward. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go back. Okay. To, no, no, go back to the to go back to that point, Brian. That'd be, yeah, that'd yeah. Be so good, I, uh, I, good actually. I, I mean, I, I know this is going to be a, an unpopular opinion in here. I know I sound like a broken. Record, I love I love unpopular <laughs> opinions. I love that. Tell me what is it? Prefacing it with that, uh, I, I agree. I think the government has overreached in many areas, uh, but I disagree that there is any solid evidence that this is a First Amendment rights uh, violation. Uh, I think a private company taking information from the government, deciding themselves whether it breaks their own terms of service, I don't think that is a First Amendment violation unless that... So I don't go out of the house much and I'm on social media. If I want to communicate, it's usually WhatsApp and social media. So let's say um, uh, uh, Meta or Facebook represents 95 or let's say 85 or 80 percent of all discussions human uh, people in the U.S. have in total. OK, 80 percent of what you say, all of it is going to be on Facebook. Does Facebook still have the right to censor whatever they want as a private company? Or is there a line that's being crossed now from a private company to a to a public whatever term you want to use a public uh, yeah public square town halls a public yeah, square town or town hall that we've used before and is that something that should be addressed now when we're seeing such centralization of power centralization of discourse on those um, social media platforms and we've talked about the metaverse and people moving away more and more every year people move away from the physical world into that social world that I, I, I think world. that's a good point and and, and I. I would almost welcome that, but but as the way the law is written right now, and as the way the First Amendment applies to the nation right now, it, it won't. It, that's not the case. I that's not saying it shouldn't be the case. I, I think that Facebook or Twitter. I think that such a large portion of the country com, country uses them that that they should be considered a public square. But all other case law, there were cases in I think 1969 where. Somebody tried making an argument about a shopping mall, and uh, there's another case I think of about a decade later. Uh, it, it, the Supreme Court they 
decided that that is not the case, of course they could they could try and take it to the Supreme Court and and try and, and say, hey, Facebook or Twitter they represent a a town square or whatever you want to call it. But right now, I'm not under the impression at all that the First Amendment will apply to it. I don't see this going to the courts. I don't think anything's going to happen. I think that Twitter, as a private company, they inherently have the right to make their own decisions. Uh, now, if you can make the case that the company or those who acted for Twitter in censoring speech were under the impression, based off of government threats, that they had to act or else something would happen, then that's a whole other story, and that could be considered an infringement. We've got Justin. Justin just updated before you respond. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now I'll let you respond. Now just a quick update. Yeah, of course. Just a quick yeah. update from uh, so, from Justin. So Democrats are going after Taibbi and, and uh, Schellenberger personally. Um, so we're yeah, be Wasserman Schultz is up oh. there. Yeah, yeah. De- Debbie Wasserman Schultz is up there, and she's brought up some screenshots from an appearance that uh, Taibbi had with Joe Rogan. Uh, the screenshot basically is a is is a quote from Taibbi saying. Yeah, we, you know, when you're handed stuff from the government or otherwise, that's or from a from a source, that's when you really need to be careful because you've been had. And she's trying to imply, of course, that Elon basically spoon fed Taibi and Schellenberger this information, therefore it should be suspect. But they're they're very confrontational. Uh, Taibi and Schellenberger are basically laughing it off with a little bit of a smiles because they know these guys are just not equipped to handle sort of the fire that they're bringing. But they're they're definitely bringing out some big guns on the Democratic side to curb these folks. And I'll be tweeting well, out yeah, in, uh, in about a few that, minutes. Sorry, in sorry, about Mario, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, Mario, go ahead just add to that as well. Uh, they're basically insinuating that Matt TAB has significantly financially benefited from this uh, endeavor. Oh, really? Oh, shit. All right, put that in the thread. So Simon is working on a thread that I'll be tweeting on my account in a few minutes. Um, so he's doing a lot of work yeah. in the background with the team. Isn't so I'll be strange, doing guys? that. I'll be sending well, that. I, I just, I just want to bring out the point, right? Isn't it strange that the Democrats are carrying water for the government? And gosh, Matt uh, Taibbi is making money on Substack because he's reporting on a story that nobody else is reporting on that people are really, really interested. You know, you know kind of like CNN and MSNBC. I want to reply to Brian what he said, and I, Brian, I want to. I, I agree with you that you know social media companies are private companies and they can have their own you know rules on you know bullying or whatever content they want to take down. And then you you did say, however, it would be a a problem if the government got involved and talked about their terms of service or content moderation. So uh, that actually did happen. And I posted it up in the thread of this uh, lady, Shelby Pearson, who works at the Office of Director of National Intelligence, who said just exactly that, that they share information from the intelligence community with social media discussing their terms of service and how to remove inauthentic content. So, there, there yeah, so, 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 so my argument is that if Twitter, so, so did Twitter get that information and then figure? Yes. Okay. Just let, let me finish. Did Twitter get that? Did Twitter get that information and then, then say, okay, we feel like this is in best interest for the company based on our internal policies or did they get that information from the government and say, we have to do this. If we don't do this, we're under threat by the government. Uh, I, I think there's a clear distinction. Know. We don't know that. Um, yeah, but yeah. we do know that they were getting information from the government from all different sources, CISA and obviously the Office of Director of National Intelligence, discussing. And what's important here is 
what Shelby Pearson says from the ODNI is that they discussed relative to the social media firms terms of service, how to remove inauthentic content. So I guess the question is, do we want the government deciding the social media platforms terms of service and how they do content moderation? And I think the well, answer well, so, is no. so, so, so let, let's just take things into a much more severe level and, and it is comparing apples to oranges, but it's just another thing. Like, where do you draw the line? Like, what if, what if somebody posted child pornography on Twitter? Does the government not have the right to say, hey, Twitter, you have child pornography on your site right now. Uh, you might want to consider removing it. Uh, like, th- th- that's what the I'm saying. The First like, Amendment does right not protect, that. Brian, the First Amendment does not protect child pornography. Illegal. It's very clear. Yeah, to remove child pornography. That, so that's, that, that's a red herring. Brian, take a look at, I co-authored a piece in the Wall Street Journal with Janine Yunus, our lawyer in this case, uh, called the White House COVID Censorship Regime. And in there, we talk about Rob Flaherty, Director of Digital Communications at the White House. And we, we quote directly his interchanges with a senior executive at Twitter. What you see there is an emotionally abusive relationship where he's berating, he's cajoling, he's threatening. The threats could not be more overt. So I'm not suggesting that in every case of government action, here you had that uh, type of behavior, but there's plenty of evidence now that that occurred, uh, you know, on on several occasions. In, in your favor, Brian, I want to I want to I appreciate what you said about the possibility of social media companies uh, maybe being more of a neutral public square. And I just I've mentioned Section 230 a couple of times, the law that governs um, these basically governs these companies and what they're allowed to do. Right now, the social media companies kind of have it both ways. What I mean by that is on the one hand, they act like a publisher. And of course, publishers, a newspaper, a book publisher has the right to choose what they publish and what they don't publish. And they can they can do all the censorship, quote unquote censorship they want or just ex- exercising ed- editorial discretion. But a publisher is responsible for the all of the content that they publish in the sense that they could be liable for uh, libel, for, uh, you know, slander, for defamation. The social media companies are protected by Section 230 from all of those things. Um, so on the one hand, they want to say, well, we're, we're just, we're like a publisher, right? Except that they're not because you can't sue them. Uh, they're totally indemnified and protected as though they were a neutral public carrier that was not responsible for the content of what's on their platforms. So my argument is basically they shouldn't be able to have it both ways. Uh, they, they shouldn't be able to say, on the one hand, um, you know, we're not responsible for anything that we publish. But on the other hand, we want complete editorial control over everything on our platform. We want to be allowed to censor. Pick one or the other. Assume the liability for everything on Twitter, which is obviously impossible or become a neutral public square, a neutral carrier um, that will protect you from liability, but that will allow basically anything that's allowed by the First Amendment of the United States, which of course doesn't include child pornography. But yeah, yeah but, but see, uh, here's, here's the issue. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Brian, quickly respond, and then Justin, I've sent you some clips to play for the audience. Go ahead, Brian. 
it, every every law isn't black and white. So so like like child pornography, obviously it's an obvious one. So you see see an image that is obvious. Well, even even that you don't know if it's how do you know if it's somebody underage or not? You don't, you don't know that all, all the time. So I, I I think that every law isn't black and white. So some things might be much more clear whether it is against the law, while some things it might not be clear. So like how do they how do you reconcile that as a company if you have to remove everything that's illegal, but you don't actually know if something's illegal unless you try the case. Yeah, and incitement is where it gets weird, funky, because incitement is also not protected. Um, and where do you draw the line? What is incitement and what is not? Brian, I still think you're, we're yes, you're talking about apples and oranges. Of course, the FBI can go to a social media platform and discuss illegal, actual illegal activity like child pornography or you know whatever that may be right but the but what we're talking about here is the government is policing our thoughts and opinions and they are coming up with what they believe is the wrong thing and advising social media under this false guise of foreign disinformation by the way, let me let me Brian, let me let me jump in there just a second if I don't if you don't mind. Let me let me just I want to clarify what name redacted is saying. Here's my mic better, by the way, Mario. Yeah. Is that better? Okay, good. Yeah. So um listen, the the what what's interesting about this dump today is that there is some uh discussion of actual foreign efforts to influence what's being spoken. Okay. Now, ostensibly, there it can be useful and helpful for the government to come and say, "Hey, this is this is what we're seeing," and to grab up information. When it comes to foreign actors, there is, and Kyle Serafin said this, I think, very clear, beautifully and clearly earlier. There is absolutely zero, zero uh, reason or right for the federal government to come in if they believe that there is speech that is wrong unless there is specific criminal activity taking place. So this is why the pornography analogy is just freaking stupid. It is total apples and oranges because there's no – it's obvious that if there's obvious child pornography and someone didn't notice it, that the FBI is going to be investigating that for a crime anyway. But again, there should only be issues of warrants coming to allow much of that. Now, there might be some ability legally to let people know that they saw an actual crime while they're working to get a warrant. That that may or may not be useful, but that's not the same thing we're talking about here. Someone's opinion on whether Russia was right to go into Ukraine or whether there was a lab leak out of Wuhan. There's nothing criminal happening there. That is entire even if they're stupid and wrong, there's nothing criminal. Even if it affects an election, then then and they were saying it wrong, an American has an absolute right to even say stupid stuff under the under the Constitution, under the First Amendment. I've said this before. Misinformation and disinformation in particular are protected by the First Amendment. And the FBI, CIA, none of them should be coming in to preempt any of that. They shouldn't even express any concern or worry about it because it's not their purview to do so under any circumstances unless that speech 
is specifically related to a crime and they have an actual warrant to come in to preempt it. That's why what we're reading in today's and what we've read over and over again is so wrong because having that constant flow in the manner we're, we're uh, hearing about it is entirely inappropriate for the federal government to be involved in. I want to quickly go to Justin. I've just tweeted the thread with clips that Slayman and the team are working on. Uh, so if anyone wants to have a look at it, I've pinned it above. It's on my profile as well. And um, we're just working on it in the background. We'll be putting more clips there as well. Um, yeah. Justin, did you have any clips you want to play for the audience? Yeah, yeah I'm still trying to anything. gather those together. I yeah, got I the, the file yeah, downloading sure. go them. Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, the problem with the government right now is that it's behaving like a bunch of Karens, right? It's like you have everybody acting like Karens nowadays. You know, you have stores that put rainbow pride flags in front of their store and they try to educate you and lecture you on trans rights. Like no one's asking them to do that, but they go out of their way to do it because they feel like it's their duty. It's to their do right so. though. I, it's their right to do so. Yeah. But when you're in the government and you're acting the same way that a Karen does at a fucking store, I mean, this is the issue. It's like you forgot what your duty is. Your duty is not to promote social justice. Your duty is not to correct or stop misinformation. That is not the FBI's job, nor any of these other organizations, for the most part. Uh, they're just stepping on the line and acting like Karens. I mean, this is why we're now seeing nowadays, right, where the FBI is investigating parents who are speaking out against transgenderism. How the fuck is it their job to investigate parents who are speaking out against transgenderism? How is it their job to do that? How is it their job to go after Catholics who, who do the Latin mass thing, which is a, a, you know problematic around certain quarters? It's not their job to do these things. And here they are on Twitter telling people what they can or cannot say because they think it's their job to stop disinformation. It is not their job, and they need to stop it. So, so uh, Justin, I agree with to... Ian to a point. Just very briefly, Piotr, we'll go to a clip by Justin. Yeah, go 30 ahead, seconds. So, I, you know, when Ian phrases it like that, uh, I mean, I'll be aside from the Karen point, um, well, which I find funny, but um, is, uh, is I agree with Ian. It's not the duty of these people to do that. I've never said it has been. Where I differ slightly is something that Jim highlighted, which is uh, even the FBI OCA have no jurisdiction to sort of preemptively do something if it poses a security risk. Really? Nothing at all? Even if it's a potentially major deterioration or escalation of a situation beyond our hands? Like, uh, this is my concern, is if you don't do something, then it could lead to something even worse and then how do you come back or manage that situation well, that's the reasoning right you know justice activists will say that if we don't speak up on behalf of trans people there's going to be a genocide of trans people i mean well, that's different to justin, uh, yeah, it's, yeah so justin yeah guys guys let's let's like, guys guys let's go just go to the clip i uh, just want to go back to the to the to the hearing or the, the testimonies right now justin you've got a clip for us yeah, just a few short ones here. Uh, this was from the opening statements of Taibbi, and he's talking about uh, digital McCarthyism, short 20-second 20, 20 clip. Growing network, as Mike noted, is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. That last term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. I think that goes to the point we're just talking about where, you know, when the government makes lists of people they want, and the, the implication is, please take these down, right? Uh, and th that becomes very problematic. Here's another clip real quick. This is Tybee firing back 
at the majority member who uh, introduced him or in his opening comments, I'm oh, sorry, the minority uh, member, the, the ranking member there on the Democratic side, who who called Taibbi a so-called journalist. Here's his quick response. That time was spent at Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, ranking member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the IF Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times books. New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and uh, at some point, as I mentioned before, Debbie Wasserman Schultz sort of lays into Taibbi and Schellenberger, claiming that, you know, basically they are uh, compromised uh, because they've either made money or because they were spoon fed this information. And there was a lot of back and forth there. That's a longer clip. I'm not going to post that. But there's more clips coming in, and as I as I get them all, I'll post them up here, and we'll feed them. Yeah, up there. and I've just uh, I put them in the thread above. There's four clips in the thread, so if you check above and it's pinned on my profile, you can go through the clips yourself, and uh, we've transcribed them for you. So we're just getting the highlights um, that Slime and the team are working on at discourse. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to touch on a couple things. Uh, number one, this spoon-fed comment is hilarious. So. Uh, I've, I've had a couple spaces where we were going over the Twitter files and Matt actually popped in. And so every time he pops in, I always make sure to ask him, okay, Matt, explain to people the process of how you receive this information. So this is my first point. And he always says specifically that you have to re re request, the, request the information from a team at Twitter and then they filter it back and comes back to them. So to say that it's being spoon fed is, is it's just, it's not true uh, because he has to make specific requests because there's so much data. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is that it's not such a private company when we know through all social media companies, and Bill Evanina even bragged about this on video, go check out Name Redacted's Disinfogate threads, um, where he says, you know, we have Intel people working in all these social media companies, and once, you're, once they're Intel, you have them for life. And so if you've got Intel different agency people working in these social media companies, and they are corresponding with members within these other agencies, and then not only that, um, his last thread drop that he did, uh, you had Pearson, who is the election czar, um, underneath uh, Radcliffe, Daniel, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who was the director of national intelligence under the Trump administration. She, he actually said that he has uh, prohibited any of these companies, any of these employees or agency to, to uh, get involved at these social media companies. And she went and did it anyway and, and basically bragged about it on camera. So you've got people within the governmental agencies that are coordinating with former members of governmental agencies that are inserted within these companies. And to say it's just a private company can do what it wants. Again, that is a control. And, and then you make the argument, you say, okay, well, this is wrong information. It's bad information. It shouldn't be out there. The problem with that again, is that there's no free market of ideas where we can actually look at the information and discern for ourselves because that is not what is happening here. So it's a public-private partnership. And this is, in my opinion, why it is an attack on the First Amendment. So can you point to it specifically? I don't know. But Yeah, but well, do... let, me, let me just let me add a little color to that and just say this. This is exactly how clandestine operations work when they are trying to find out information from foreign governments. I mean, let's just let's just lay this out for what it is, like what they're doing internally in these country companies, as you just described, trash is what we do in clandestine work around the world and with field ops like th this is this is the gravity of this situation. And, and again, I understand there's some degree of fungibility in terms of, you know, someone leaves the CIA and they go get a private job and and people can argue whether or not it's all that important 
to note the reality that once you're in the clandestine services, you're in for life. Okay, well, maybe that's not entirely true in some way. If I grant that, which I don't, but if I grant that for the sake of argument, the effort that we have read about in this entire discourse since Elon Musk started releasing, allowing this information to be released is we are reading about how clandestine operations, one aspect of how clandestine operations work around the world. That was never the purpose of the CIA or the NSA or DHS. And it's only slightly the purpose of the FBI, only to the extent that they have authorization to do investigation of actual criminal activities. Well, they're hardly doing any criminal investigation in anything that we're reading about them. And so we, we get into this discourse, so, you know, a private company, they get, and yeah, of course you want information from the government because if you didn't know something, blah, 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 no, 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 no. There's a firewall. It's called the First Amendment. It's a specific firewall to protect this precise thing. And let me go further. We have a posse comitatus law. And ostensibly, much of this is related to military activities. Well, a posse comitatus, the law that was passed in this country, restricts the, the uh, military from doing anything anything domestically in terms of military operations, and that would also include military intelligence. This is the gravity of what we're seeing here. It is a serious issue. And and just let me say this as someone who worked on Capitol Hill for many years, the audacity and stupidity of these congressmen who are going after journalists well, first of all, most congressmen are, are stupid. I hate to say that, and this is recorded, and I've worked in Congress. You know, I mean, I understand that. Listen, it scares me, the people we elect to Congress. I just have to say this. There are a lot of very good ones. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and I respect many of them. But there are so many of them that are just crass political actors. And when they are out, even if they disagree vehemently with Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, the way that they are treating journalists, you ought to just, just write it down. That's exactly how they feel about the press that doesn't work with them in the right way. Well, that's not their job. They don't have any responsibility to do that. And quite frankly, F you, we, we think that you're illegitimate and Jim, useless people. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim um, do, you, do you see any change coming out of these hearings? Let's just be honest. I know a lot of people love to get too excited Um and, and you know we got excited when the Project Veritas drop came in. We got excited in the early days of the Twitter files, etc. It's, it's not it's not common for change to follow. It's really difficult to 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 have uh, to have such systems or, or such ingrained well, Caroline processes. Caroline was right earlier. She said that we need to be doing more than just spaces. If you're tuning in right now, even after... if we do more though, no, like no, no, look no, listen, what listen, look listen, what Elon no, did. I'm not talking though. about us. I'm not talking about us, Mario. I'm saying the listeners. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. You yeah. need to you need to call your Congress people. You need to educate them on these subjects. You need to make them care. You need to make them realize. You jumped out, but I'll continue what Ian is saying. Is that it's a very valid point. The congressmen are, are there. To, you know, they they're they're wanna, right? they want to get the votes. Yeah, exactly. They want your. They want to get your votes, and, and and you've got to make it clear to them that this is an issue that matters to you. That the First Amendment matters, right? You can you can complain to them about how your water fucking smells funny or something, but you know, like at the end of the day, they're not going to care if they don't know what's what's really pressing you they're in dc they're not at home they, they're out of touch at this point unless they have like a really good staff in some cases they do like thomas massey is a pretty good staff 
But in most cases, you need to educate them. You need to call their office and make a fuss. And if a lot of you do it, even if a hundred of you call a congressman, you know, the staffer will reach out to the, the person he's working for and say, hey, this seems to be an issue that you can make a name of uh, out of yourself for. So, you know, well, I recommend doing that. Here's where I agree with you. To answer your question, well, let me answer your question, Mario. Let me just add something, Jim, because I... Hang on. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. I actually agree with both sides. I think there's there's right on both sides. Aaron was saying that these companies are immune to lawsuits from libel and things like that. If they're immune to these lawsuits, they shouldn't be acting as editors because that makes you a publisher. Right. Exactly. Um, and that's that's the problem here. And I do think things like Taliban recruitment or things that create incitement should should be somehow censored or because I don't think they should be editors, they should be flagged in a way that makes it obvious. So if something has misinformation and it's obvious it's misinformation and they can put links to the fact of why it's misinformation they should be flagged. They shouldn't be censored because if they are, they're publishers. They're not – they shouldn't be um, immune to being sued then. Yeah. You know, and, al- and although I think question, misinformation yeah. needs a flag. Yeah, so, I agree. Mario, it, it, well, your, well, your question real, real well, quick. Let me, answer, name, let, me, let me throw something out here real quick, and then you come. I, I apologize for interrupting, but, but uh, uh, Mario asked me a question, and I think it's important to answer it from the perspective that I'm at, will things change? The answer, Mario, sadly, and I'm just picking up on where trash was, is no. Because, um, and, and this is my great concern. Um, I'm, I firmly believe everything I just said just a little bit ago. And I'm, I'm giving you both the insider and outsider perspective on this because I, I live in both worlds now, thankfully. Um, you know, what happens with these hearings you, it, it, is that you have people who are just mere political actors. They want to get elected next time. Let me, let me put it more crassly than that. For many of these members of Congress, they are more worried about their $174,000 plus a year paycheck than they are about your rights. Now, that doesn't mean they give no thought to your rights or no care or concern for it, because even the most crass and corrupt of them do to some extent, because they understand we work under a constitutional uh, uh, situation in the United States. But that ultimately, if their $174,000 paycheck is on the line or their ability to obtain that three or $400,000 a year paycheck when they go into to do lobbying after they leave Congress is at risk, then they, they, they will say, a pox on your rights. I would rather uh, keep winning my election and set myself up for that. And when I tell you this, folks, I'm saying this seriously. There is a large number of people in Congress for whom that is the specific calculation. We started giving uh, livable salaries to congressmen instead of just reimbursing them for expenses as we we used to do in the 19th and early 20th century because – ostensibly, it was just wealthy people who were getting elected because they were the only ones who could afford to do so. Okay, well, we did that. Well, what did we get? We got the other side of human greed, uh, uh, the the necessity to maintain my elected position. This is why it's going to be very hard for this to change. You have Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and other senators uh, blasting on Tucker Carlson for putting out 
information that the American public have a right to know on something as serious as just happened on January 6th, two years ago, plus years ago. This is what, this is why this whole narrative no, again, of do we have Jameson a uniparty is a problem. Yeah, just something so, up. I would, I would, yeah, go ahead, Nate. Go ahead. I want to give you, I want to answer your question too. Like, do we expect change or can we take these committee hearings serious? And I will say up to this point, um, I don't expect anything to really come of this. Uh, the investigators on these uh, committees have been briefed and given this information. Um, they, they know about Shelby Pearson. They know about Bill Evanina. They know about, they know every, all the work that Mike Benz has, has done on CISA and all that. They know all of this, but to date we're, we're getting testimony. I mean, it's fine to have Matt Taibbi up there and, and that's great, but unless Congress starts actually calling the perpetrators, Chris Krebs, Shelby Pearson. Uh, why are they subpoenaing Nina Jankowitz for a, uh, a little group, uh, the Disinformation Governance Board, that was shut down? They should be uh, subpoenaing Shelby Pearson, and uh, who used to run that, uh, the, the Foreign Malign Influence Center, and the current person who runs the Foreign Malign Influence Center, which is Jeffrey Wickman, because these people were meeting with CISA and social media, they were meeting with CISA on a weekly basis and social media on a monthly basis. And then Chris Krebs and uh, Elvis Chan, like the perpetrators of the censorship apparatus. Those are the people that need to be called to testify and deposed, frankly. So unless they start doing that, then I will start taking it serious that they actually want to get to the bottom of where there was this crossing the line of of domestic censorship, which is is a, a civil liberties violation, and they're they're not doing that yet. No, one hundred percent name, and I agree with you. And that's that's kind of the point here, because like, okay, so we can identify uh, who's actually behind it, and they're not calling them up. Instead, they're doing softball questions. It, it appeared to me in the last hearings that they were trying to drive the conversation away from social media and to directly just at the FBI in general but not actually bringing up the people that were responsible for doing this and, and heading up these departments and, and basically, like you said, meeting with them once a week. And again, to Jim's point as well, it, it's, it, this is something that's probably going to be never ending. Uh, the only way that I can see, the only way that I can see that this changes is if you get the culture to change, which means that more reach and more people need to understand this, because again, it needs to be more than just politically expedient. It actually has to be like a culture change that has been manufactured as we can tell up into this point. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful in the sense that we are actually now being able to see what the cancer is within the system. Now, is there going to be enough appetite for politicians and, and for media and everybody to hold these people accountable? Uh, that remains to be seen. I, I, I am hopeful that this, there is a crack in the dam here because we do see it. And I think that this information can get out. And if there's anything positive that could come out of these hearings, if they're not going to bring up the people they need to be, then maybe just maybe getting into the populace and having this conversation is going to have people rethinking what their preconceived notions were, Mario. So. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll let you jump in. In the meantime, I'll, I will bring up new speakers while Justin prepares more clips. Slyman, is there anything? Can you hear me, Slyman? Let me ping him if I can't hear me. Let's see if there's it. Can you hear me? on the space let's see if there's yeah, any other updates in the oh yeah any anything new in the testimony anything interesting worth mentioning yeah yeah uh, there's been a few interesting points uh, let me just uh, get lost here one second yeah Justin you can see in my thread as well there's a few clips if you want to play any interesting ones there 
Uh, and Justin, you can send it to sorry, Slimani, you can send to Justin. I'll send you his phone number. Any interesting clips so we can play them for the audience. I just don't want us to um know, to, to to have all the entertainment for ourselves. So we can play interesting yeah. clips and not useless ones. Yeah, cool. Uh, so um, there it was the point that uh, in terms of Richard Stindel, who was uh, affiliated with Hamilton 68 and various other agencies, that he said every country does propaganda on its own people. So they basically saying that that was the objective. Then the counter to that point was that, um, and the argument was that this whole Twitter files is a biased uh, endeavor. And the example that was given was that Trump's White House tried to take down content from Chrissy Teigen. And when Matt Tiebe and Michael Schellenberger were asked that were they aware of this, they said they weren't aware, thus indicating biases in terms of the the leaks that were occurring. Um, and so, yeah, that there were the few, a couple of the main points at the moment. Uh, Schellenberger said that up to this point, no one from the Twitter team has denied any requests that they've made. So that's just a summary of what's happening right now. Hmm. I see Emergent, by the way, in the audience. Emergent would love to have you on stage as well. Um, but there's nothing nothing substantial yet. Um, I'm going through the thread as well. Um, so we'll see. I, I just don't see any anything uh, interesting. And they're trying to discredit them. They're trying to show bias uh, with a line of questioning. Uh, Piotr, anything to add before? Ian, by the way, I want to continue going through the Twitter files. Ian or Trash, can you guys go through after Piotr and, and uh, Trav? Can read it. Just go yeah. through the... Read it. Yeah, yeah, Trash, yeah. We, if you can go through... I'll, I'll give the mic to Piotr also. I might bring up speakers without being vetted. I want to give that a shot again. So, you know, if it doesn't work out, if you get brought down, don't be offended. Uh, just to get some some other opinions as well. But Piotr, anything to add quickly? Because I want to continue going with the thread. Because we have a Twitter files drop and we have the testimony. We're trying to go through both. There's a lot going on. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, I think this is a good discussion. I think we've got a, a balanced array of opinions. I, I think there's a predominant perspective over over others, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to be in, in the majority um, in that. And again, I think it comes down to context is important uh, and so is intent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I've always emphasized, you know, I asked Elon this very question about would there be, uh, to what extent are you going to patrol the freedom of speech when it came to the uh, removal of, um, you know, uh, Yay when he made that uh, image upload of the David and Nazi and, and, and so on, right? And he said it's inside to violence is definitely something that he draws a line to and and other things so even on twitter the place that we're all harking around as being a source of undisputed freedom of expression there are still limits Uh, and so i think that that's just something that we should keep in mind when we're talking about these things i'm i'm certainly against not being able to speak your mind but and there was a good message i had from someone else uh, who was just asking a question, so I'd be curious for their takes on it on the stage. How does more information, which will include dis and inf- misinformation, solve the problem? It will pos- potentially make it worse because it would change the direction uh, and exacerbate already, uh, you know, precarious situations, right? So basically, like the balloon, right? If we release that information too soon, it could have made the situation far worse than it already was. But equally, I understand yeah. people not being happy with that. Emergent, you've been in our spaces recently. Love your opinion on everything you're hearing. You've never been in our Twitter file spaces. Um, what are your thoughts? I'm not sure if you've listened to our previous uh, spaces on the Twitter files, but what are your thoughts? What do you expect from these testimonies? And then we'll get uh, Tava's thoughts and we'll continue going through the, the drop. Anything to add, Emergent? Uh, yeah, I just uh, I just hopped on and saw this one. I actually have not read through the thread yet. 
But um, I think the interesting thing about the the testimony is just going to be how, how are they going to justify this this request for what is essentially a, a violation of, of First Amendment of trying to monitor journalists. I'm just really curious how they're going to try and spin that. It's just to me, it's pretty insane. Mm. All right, Tav, anything to add, my friend? Um, you know, it, well, it's well, it's I'm sure I'll have some comments on. Yeah, it. all good. Cool, I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, go ahead, Todd. When it comes to freedom of speech, publishes, um, you, you have bad actors who pretend to be publishers or or the press, and they're not as such. What they're doing is coming around pretending to be for free speech, but also spreading disinformation. So yeah. I've read all the Twitter files. And all of the Twitter files is basically saying that you have people that's basically messing with um, national security or, or our defense. So when you spread this information on the Internet, that is not free speech. That is a organ. That is a, a coordinated operation to basically weaker another nation or another country. People have to be specific with what they're talking I think, about. I think, no, I think, I think if the if the if the misinformation is being spread by U.S. citizens, that's their right. They can say whatever they like, uh, and it's. I think the responsibility it's also is also treason. S- no, no, no. Uh, hold on. And you're talking nonsense. Uh, you don't get hold to hold on, what is disinformation, right? You don't have. I mean, who watches the watchman? Yes. Like you, you can't have the government well, being like, "Well, I decided it's disinformation because I'm the." Expert. Well, well, by the, by the way, we have coordinated we have coordinated misinformation campaigns. You know what they're called? They're called elections. Like you cannot preempt people from putting out information that they believe in, that they think is important for where the country should go. Would you, say, Jim, would you way, say it's? Uh, would you say, say yeah. this, Jim? Would you say it's censorship? We know the community notes. Would you consider that as a as a as a light form of censorship? No. Well, I, you know, no, I don't. I think that they can be anyone. useful. In fact, I've had a couple community notes come on things that I've put up, and I disagreed with them. I also uh, saw one so got, that was useful for to me. I felt so. No, if it gives yeah. info, listen, that's a whole lot different than like what I posted yeah. up yesterday. I was watching. I was on YouTube on my television set on my uh, Amazon uh, uh, Fire TV thing, and they had a. Uh, preemptive thing in their YouTube put on this. Yeah, about, let's see, let's, Jim. Uh, before, what, before, you continue, before, yeah. before you continue, I just want to continue with because I interrupted uh, Tav. So, Tav, do you think a solution before we continue going through the thread? I just want to clear that point, and then we'll continue going through the thread, and then a few clips afterwards. I, I, um, I actually, do you, do you think? Yeah, go ahead, man. I was, I was going to ask you a question. I, I actually, yeah, oh, okay. no, no, not the solution. A question, bro. A question. Um, so, so my question to you is the following: um, Do you think if someone's spreading misinformation? Don't you think having community notes, like an open source way to, to kind of point out that this is misinformation, is better than censoring it? And I'll tell you why. By the way, I, I understand where you're coming from more more than some because I, I, I know that da- I hate misinformation. I genuinely hate it since I was a kid because I know the damage it could cause. So I understand where you're coming from. But the point I have is the people that are censoring quote-unquote misinformation, or let's say it is misinformation, that you know it might start out as a good thing, okay? But then... When when someone has that level of power, that's where abuse of power comes in, and that's where, as long as it's, as long as that there is that level of power in anyone's hands, it could be used for good, but it could be used for, for 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 you know for um, for their own good. 
Uh, and that's why I think community notes or an open source um, way to deal with misinformation could be a better solution. What do you think? I, I agree. It should be a way to flag um, any account that's spreading misinformation. Because when, if you look in the last Twitter files, it says that um, you're basically guilty by association. So you could be talking to a bad actor on social media and not even know it. And then, she, you know, your shadow banned or something like this. Mm. So I, I agree. The censorship is way out of hand. It should be a way to flag these bad actors. That way, other people who are not bad actors don't fall in the same category as the people who are doing this mess, man. Mm. No, I'm with you there. I, I'm, I'm glad we agree on that point. Um, yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that point. Like, I think there is, uh, I just don't want us to, to, uh, to kind of move away from the importance of, uh, oh, I don't want to diminish the, the damage that misinformation can cause, but I just don't think censorship is the answer. Uh, but I'm glad you brought that up, man. Um, I will go to, um, uh, trash. Trash, man. Uh, can we continue going through the thread while Slayman and Justin uh, prepare clips and updates for us from the hearing? From yeah, the I've testimony? Got pull- yeah, I've got it pulled up here. Uh, we were left off, nice I believe, on 13. Um, so if everybody can hear me okay, it sounds like they can. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So number 13, uh, NGOs I- idly serve as a check on corporations and the government. Not long ago, most of these institutions viewed themselves that way. Now, Intel officials, quote, researchers and executives at firms like Twitter are effectively one team or signal group, as it were. So there's actually an email here from uh, Nick Pickles to a lot of the people that are in this. Uh, and they didn't black out everybody, but they have the names, but not maybe not where they came from. But just real quick. So, hi, all. Yol and I thought it might be useful for us to have a signal group to keep in touch in the coming weeks. If you'd like to be added, please reply with the number you'd like me to add. We're also thinking about potentially having a check-in on either the second or afternoon of the third. Let me know if you think that that would be helpful. Thanks, Nick. So these are all the people that are going to be in the signal group that are going to be coordinating to try to uh, keep from everything getting scattered and, and centralized everything in one place, what they want to have centered and talk about moving forward. So they're streamlining it. Uh, number 14, the Woodstock of the censorship industrial complex came when the Aspen Institute which receives millions a year from both State Department and USAID, held a star-studded confab in Aspen in August 2021 to release its final report on information disorder. And so it's just showing the screenshot here um, where it looks like they, they were awarded $10.32 million, $10. million to the Aspen Institute. And so they've actually got a screenshot right here of another one, uh, which they were given. This is from the USAID. And it's another $6.5 million. So at this point now, you're talking about $16.8 million from these two different governmental uh, agencies. And then it actually so, has, so who, who, where's that money going to? Sorry, Trash? It's going to uh, the Aspen Institute. So uh, a lot of you, I don't know if you guys know what the Aspen Institute is, but a lot of um, former CIA uh, uh, officials work for it. It works in conjunction with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, the Atlantic Council, and so this is not just a domestic. This is actually a global uh, connection here that, that's going on, Mario. It's kind of crazy. So, and we saw that again. Hmm. Uh, if you pull up Name's thread, uh, Name, you're here. The Aspen Institute, it was connected with, I believe that was under the connection with CISA, correct? Uh, correct. Okay. So CISA is the cyber, you know, cybersecurity uh, agency uh, for the government. And so basically Aspen Institute works directly with those guys, Atlanta Council. So this is this is where 
the big apparatus of censorship is actually coming in. And this is where it interconnects with uh, the global, um, the GEC. Uh, Scenario 15, the report was co-authored by Katie Couric and Chris Krebs, the founder of DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure uh, Security Agency, which is CISA. Yul Roth of Twitter and Nathaniel Gleischer of Facebook were technical advisors. Prince Harry joined Couric as a commissioner. So you've got a screenshot here of the commissioners of this group, Prince Harry, Will Hurd, former congressman. You've got Dr. Aaron Ford, uh, which is a, a Nevada attorney general. Yasmin Green. <clears throat> Director of Research and Development at Jigsaw, Katie Kirk, who we all know who she is, and Mar uh, Marla Blow, uh, who is the President Chief Operating Officer of the Skull Foundation. So this is essentially kind of like the group that they're putting it together. Um, and also, so a technical advisor... Putting what together? So so I'm just trying to put... Sorry, Trash, I'm, I haven't slept yeah. in a long time. So if I'm slow, I apologize. But w w w putting what together? The report that the so the Aspen Institute's Commission on Information Disorder, mm -hmm. um, that report was put together by this group. Okay. So and yeah, the so, and the report in the report includes what? It's basically it's called the Commission on Information Disorder. It's not included here, but essentially it's is saying what is misinformation, disinformation, where it's coming from, and, and so on and so forth. So okay, this so like, they're, they're, they're and and okay, so they're determining. What and what sh what should be and what shouldn't be censored. So we're just seeing all these different organizations, all these different agencies, tell the social media platforms what them, should Mario. be and shouldn't be censored. Do you say they're watching? I said they're the watchmen. You know, if you yeah yeah if yeah, you read yeah. the novel, yeah, they're the <laughs> exactly. watchmen. They they decide what is good and what is not good. I mean, this is scary stuff. Okay, maybe I can share a little bit what on what Trash is saying. The bottom line is CISA under the DHS, Chris Krebs, they were the central apparatus in this censorship, um, you know, effort, okay? Now, CISA uh, would get intelligence from the Office of Director of National Intelligence. They'd meet weekly, okay? And then they would have those meetings. And then CISA would also be the liaison between the FBI, ODNI, DOJ, at, with social media on monthly conference calls. Uh, as well as CISA would farm out um, in, uh, this, these contracts to say uh, the election integrity project, these like private sector, you know, nonprofits that would do these bulk collection data of misinformation uh, and send these files back into CISA or even directly to Twitter or the social media platforms. Uh, and then and then you'd also have the State Department with the GEC doing the same exact things, uh, bulk collecting of misinformation and giving out contracts and grants to other third party nonprofits to do the same and then send all this flood of information. So when you see in these Twitter file releases where these like Excel spreadsheets of like thousands of accounts or tweets, that's where it's coming from. And CISA was the central hub. Of uh, of acting as a liaison between government, private sector, and social media, if that makes and, sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Before we continue, trash. I do. Sorry to interrupt you guys. Justin, I know you've got a clip for us. Just to go back quickly to the uh, uh, testimony, just to get a bit of an update there. What do you have for us? Sorry. Yeah. Here is the uh, the exchange or one of the exchanges between uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Matt Taibbi. Now the the congresswoman here. 
uh, from Florida. Uh, she's got a couple posters behind you, behind her. One of them is of, uh, the the uh, appearance of Taibi some years ago, maybe with um, uh, with Joe Rogan. But let me just play this 30 second clip and then we'll go to another clip of hers. You violated your own standard and you appear to have benefited from it before the release of emails in, of the emails in August of last year. You had six hundred sixty one thousand Twitter followers after the Twitter files. Your followers doubled and now it's three times what it was last August. I imagine your Substack readership, which is a subscription, increased significantly because of the work that you did for Elon Musk. Now, I'm not asking you to put a dollar figure on it, but it's quite obvious that you've profited from the Twitter files. You hit the jackpot on that Vegas slot machine to which you referred. <laughs> okay, that's a cute. That was an adorable argument. <laughs> like her, her, her driver was a spy for the Pakistani government, and she had no that's idea. Not, that's not... Oh, did we lose you, Mario? Oh, sorry, I'm. I don't know. I'm muting. Um, but I'm just saying that the argue. The, the, who, I don't care who she is. The argument itself is is yeah pretty irrelevant. Um, so I just yeah I just she she's actually not, lecturing on ethics is uh, is is quite the irony coming from her. Here's a, another minute clip here. Taibi actually responds. Professional journalists' code of ethics asserts that journalists should avoid political activities that can compromise integrity or credibility. Being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. But a deeper concern that I have relates to the ethics of how journalists receive and present certain information. Journalists should avoid accepting spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion. Would you agree with that? I think it's. I think it depends. Schellenberg. Oh, it's really? You You wouldn't agree that a... Journalists should avoid spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion? Mrs. Con- uh, Congresswoman, I- I've done probably a dozen stories involving whistleblowers. Every reported story that I've ever done across three decades involves sources who have motives. Every time you do a story, you're making a, a-, a balancing test. Okay. And, and so the, the the ranking chairman then, or sorry, the 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 ranking minority uh, co-chair is, is goes on to lambast Taibbi and Schellenberger, and try to uh, you know catch them in a series of of issues. She asks them, you know, how many employees do you know worked at Twitter in this capacity? They don't know. How many emails did you have access to? Was it millions? I don't know. You know, it's basically just cross examination uh, BS, if you will. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's quite the interesting thing to to see that the Democrats aren't letting this go past lightly. I think they they know the the you know when when you're taking uh, flack, you're over the target. So we'll see where where things go from here. Yeah, and I think the second point that she was trying to make is uh, is highlighting the but I think she was trying to imply a certain uh, bias. Is that right, Justin? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they they have a a vested interest in in seeing that these people are basically rubes for Elon uh, and they're trying to make him out in that fashion. I I, I think um, in the end, you know, Taibbi and Schellenberg, Taibbi has a constant smile on his face right now. Justin and Ian, who was the the journalist that ended up tweeting something that Elon sent and Elon wasn't happy with it? And, you know, they kind of went back and forth on Twitter. Oh, it's Berenson. And has he sent them anything since? No, because Berenson's a fucking clown. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the, the guy, last the tweet. Guy, the guy is full of shit. You know, Barons is full of shit. He used the Twitter files, access to it, to promote his nonsense, and he didn't even do it properly. I mean, he barely released anything. It was just like a personal attack on someone he didn't like. That's all it was. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, it's an interesting look. Alex, uh, you know, I, I've I've known him now for three years. He's he's basically a soloist in this great orchestra, right? And he does some great work. His his tome is pretty large, and he's he's but he's he's not a team player. And I think Elon was looking for people that wanted to sort of engage on a on a on a more regular basis here. So uh, that's kind of t- that, that's Taibi and Schellenberger, I think, had a better uh, rapport for that. Uh, so I've just Piotr, you can take the mic while I add Justin to our media group just to send him more clips and then we'll go back to uh, actually now if you don't mind Piotr Trash let's go through a few more quick tweets before we continue with that discussion because I know there's a yeah. lot pending sorry Piotr yeah. go ahead, no Dave, problem crash. so to kind of refresh us to where we were um, basically we're, it's, it's showing here right now that there was this you know uh, report that was put together um, from Aspen Institute and the funding came uh, from a couple different agencies, uh, the USAID, and it also came from uh, the Department of State. And it's a tune of about $16.8 million to put this together. And then the people that were on it were the people I mentioned earlier, and then how it kind of all fit in here. And so their taxpayer-backed conclusions is that the state should have total access to data to make searching speech easier, speech offenders should be put in a holding area, and government should probably restrict the disinformation, even if it means losing some freedoms. So... (laughs) Uh, there's a screenshot here. Key stakeholders, governments, uh, pass law or empower independent agencies like the FTC to mandate disclosure of data and provide legal safeguards to, that protect user privacy. Uh, so you guys remember the FTC, which is going to come up next. Um, holding areas, new posts from influencers with repeat bad behavior should be placed in a holding area that allows for manual moderation and scrutiny, helping limit the potential for additional misinformation to spread quickly. And then also demonetization is part of this. Remove access to product features for violative behavior, posting monetization or amplification. And so I, I do want to remind people real quick, if you don't mind, uh, just real quick as I go to the 17. So I understand maybe like if there is actual quote unquote misinformation campaigns and, and some people that maybe are globally thinking or under that support kind of suppressing that. The problem is from the last Twitter files drop, it showed crystal clearly on that list of people with names that were submitted, they were normal American citizens. They were not part of a Hindu nationalist uh, propaganda wing. It was not part of some Russian propaganda. It wasn't part of um, anti-Ukraine propaganda arms. These were just normal people that had opinions on the Internet. So this is giving them the power to be able to do that at their at their discretion. Yeah, Justin, go ahead. No, like uh, here's another clip. Uh, well, one of the things that has taken place is that uh, Representative Stacey Plaskett, who is the minority leading member on the, on this committee, uh, she basically tried to to press them again, as as I mentioned, on a number of issues, and uh, trying to get them to reveal sources. Essentially, Jim Jordan calls her out for that. There's an exchange. I don't have that yet. But then they come around to another Democratic Congresswoman, Sylvia Garcia, Texas, and you can hear this exchange where again they're trying to get sources out of Taibbi, like uh, at one point Plaskett asks him, well, who was it at Twitter that gave you access to these emails? What did, you know, it was, it was very basic sort of like poking at journalism type of stuff on this committee. Uh, Jordan, Jim Jordan, it's very ironic, but here we go. Let me play this clip. This is representative Stacy Plaskett. Sorry. This is representative Sylvie Garcia from Texas trying to get Taibbi to reveal his sources. Approach you about writing 
the Twitter files? Again, Congresswoman, that would... Uh, I just need a date, sir. But I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this this is a question of sourcing, and I don't give up. I'm it's a journalist. A, I don't read my source. It's a question of chronology. No, that's a question because of sourcing. Because you earlier said that, that someone had sent you through the Internet some message about whether or not you would be interested in some information. Yes, and I refer to that person as a source. So you're not going to tell us when Musk first approached you? Again, Congressman, so you're asking you to re- you're no. asking a journalist to reveal so a source. So then you consider Mr. Musk to be the direct source of all this? No, now you're you're trying to get me to say that he is the source. I, I, I well, I it can't either is or he isn't. If you're telling me you can't answer because it's your source, well, then that only logical conclusion is that he is in fact your source. <laughs> well, you're free to conclude that. Well, sir, I just don't understand. You can't have it both ways, but let's move on. Cause well, no, he can. He's a journalist. No, he can't because either Musk is the source and he can't talk about it, or Musk is not the source. And if Musk is not the source, then he can discuss No one has yielded. The gentlelady's out of order. You don't and get to speak. She's out of order because he's interrupted. The gentlelady's not recognized. I just want to say something, Justin. If anyone ever criticizes my space for interruptions, I'm going to play this clip every single time anyone criticizes. This is your government. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was more of a humorous uh, clip there, Maybe Justin. Continue? I would like to hear them yell at each other. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, okay. Justin, yeah, that's Jim Jordan. So Jim Jordan interrupts things, <laughs> and then you can hear Plaskett uh, interrupt as well. As they basically are trying to say, I'm not trying to get the source, but who was your source? It was Elon, right? And so what a crazy mess. Uh, I don't think there's really anything more except for more. Uh, and and Taibi during this whole time is just, just laughing and smiling. He ends just taking a swig of his water there. It's a, it's a really humorous clip. I'll, I'll get this on top of the, the thread here. Uh, Oops, sorry. That's playing again. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll find a couple more clips, but that, I mean, the state of it is basically, uh, it's a real contentious one. I think, um, you know, to date, the Democrats haven't been uh, very keen to, to, you know, to play sort of the devil's advocate or to play the, uh, you know, the wrenching pad against uh, some of the the the, uh, the people who have been testifying before this committee. But they're pulling out the big guns this time. Well, and, and let's keep in mind uh, there the at least what I'm hearing and I'm not at a place where I can listen to the entire hearing. But what you're seeing is an attack on the people who you feel are, and, and, and I'm saying that you is the, the Democrats on this committee, they feel that Taibbi and Schellenberger and Elon Musk are a threat to them, so they have to make them look bad. They're not asking substantive questions, or at least not very many of them. And and that's the way politicians work. It's, it's why people are right to hate politicians. And this is on both sides of it very often when, you, when you're talking about elected political leaders, because they, they have to put these people down instead of see if the substance is true. That's the challenge that we've got in politics, certainly in the United States. It's, it's the same way in other parts of oh, the it's world everywhere, as well. Trust me. We'll go to uh, Piotr, who's been waiting for a while, and then we'll continue. It's always Democrats, you know? I mean, whenever I watch these hearings, it's always these fucking Democrats who come in with low IQ opinions, and they start attacking the witnesses without even listening to them. Have you ever sat in on on a Rashida Talib one, where she's talking to people about the dangers of vaping, and she just goes on a fucking tangent about how vaping is more dangerous than cigarettes? It's, it's, these Um, people are absurd. These people are dumb. I, don't know I would say it's – I'll put it – I'd go both sides of the aisle. I think that the same happens on both sides of the aisle. I think they discredit anyone they don't agree with. 
um, some politicians more than I, I others. I disagree with that. Um, I don't but, think it's both sides. I mean, you ha- on the one hand, you have people who are educated on the matters, people who care about you know the Constitution. On the other hand, you have people who want to tear down the country. That's the reality of America right now. Well, and, and by the way, I'll, let me add to that. You uh, uh, Before I, you add to that, actually, Jim, Jim, yeah, before, before you add to that, uh, I, I just want Joshua uh, to respond because I know he's been waiting for a long time, or Joa. Sure. Yeah, just uh, mine's really quick. It's two I seconds. Think, sorry, Joe, I'm gonna go. Uh, go ahead, yeah, mine, mine, just yeah. two seconds. Just to Ian's no, no, comment no, no, about sorry, intelligence. Um, so I, I think you know it's just. Yeah, a go case hold on, hold on, guys, guys, guys. Yeah, yeah. Go um, ahead, Pierre, and then Joe. Go. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna be a bit more forthright. Um, yeah, it's a case of Democrat bashing. Look, I think both parties are problematic. I think this is reflective of a discussion you need to have about the broader political system in America. As I've always said, I don't think two party state systems work. It doesn't give enough choices for the people. You've got factions within both parties that want to, you know, take the party one way or another. So that doesn't help unity and therefore effectiveness in policymaking. It's all problematic. Um, what I do want to just I, uh, point out about that clip was I I was just like, Justin, where did you get that rerun of Mario Spade from, you know, October or November? I I literally thought I was listening to that. But I do think it's, uh, I agree with Jim on the point that it's more about profiling the questioner than it is really about talking about the matter at hand. Uh, And this is a subtle thing that policy uh, makers, politicians do. Um, You know, again, a lot of this is optics, right? The Republicans are going to do this to discuss some previous things over Hunter Biden or Democratic skeletons and clauses. And the Democrats are going to do this if they think that, you know, uh, e, um, Elon Musk has associations with the Republican Party or that things aren't going in the favor of their own agenda. So both sides are going to do it. Uh, what I do think is a lot annoying about these these commissions, I've attended a few sometimes, is that they they go round in circles. You never really get to the crux of the matter uh, and it's and it's it's quite performative politics. So um, I, I'm you know I wasn't surprised to hear her asking those questions, but equally I'm disappointed that we're not seeing a genuine intent to to you know improve the status of of the political system and, actually, and, uh, yeah. and protect the First Amendment or, or whatever it is, right? And I think we're all, by the way, Piotr, we're all guilty of it. Like I'm not going to point fingers at anyone on the panel uh, now or before, but if you all just think about words you've said if you disagree with if someone said something you don't like i've seen it many times on the space and i'm talking about previous uh episodes we did where you just start attacking the person oh this person did this this and that well it doesn't matter what they did what we're talking about is exactly what they said so i think it's pretty common for someone to do this and, and i'm not surprised to see this in this uh, testimony well, well and mario uh, i've joe, said for years of working in politics I've, I've said this statement over and over again people get tired of it i said this politics thing would be easy if i didn't have to deal with people like yeah, that, exactly. that is that is fundamentally what's there. But but I, I listen, I think everyone should read uh, Washington's farewell address, George Washington's farewell address. He talked about the problems of party, of partisanship. And so you know, I, I don't, it's not just a two party system, although I think there are some unique problems with how we have developed a two party system here. And by the way, it's it's, it's, it's too binary. The two parties. It's, 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 it's well, and, and the two parties have the two part, like the two parties, parties for decades. Two of them are the same. Yeah, the two parties getting... for de- the two parties for decades in the United States have built a legislative system 
that was is something of a detente so that they can maintain that status. It's a real problem in the United States. That having been said, though, it's just it could be just as problematic in parliamentary systems, and it's certainly well, obviously pointed par- out Canada, problematic. Right? Canada has this yeah. big yeah, guys, issue where you have uh, two parties. You know, you have the, the uh, you have Trudeau's but, party, and then you have Jagmeet Singh's party. They're basically the same party, but they 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 take they they dominate the vote by forming a coalition against the conservatives. So the conservatives have no chance of winning anything. And, but, and the big Ian, problem, Ian, the big thing made, I would... You just made yeah. a comment that Repub- the Democrat, the dumb Democrats or the Democrats are all idiots. Psychology Today actually did a report and studied what the intelligence level is of who's a Republican, who's a Democrat in Congress, and you'd be very shocked. And I'm not going to say the results because I'm going to get a thousand uh, hate DMs, but that also goes into the electors. If you look at the percentage of college graduates that voted Democrat versus Republican, there's it also sways greatly. So, you know, your comment's actually not true. Um, these are the same people <laughs> okay. who urge that we lock down everything and then destroy our economies. I mean, these are the people we're taking advice yeah. from. So I don't I'll... give a shit about their college education. I think credentialism is a fucking mistake. You know, yeah. they hand out these uh, papers like candy these days, and we're supposed to take them like as if they're erudite. No, they're they're far, I'll, I'll far give you, from the college I'll, graduates of fifty years ago. So no, I, I well, well, well they mattered when we went, them. right? I mean, they were getting rid of the MCATs no, no, and the no, no, SATs. No, no, no. Before, and the before, 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 now they're not. Before, good, get to have you. Get to have you, protocol. How are you? I'm all right. Good. The, the, com- the hearing's bullshit so far. Justin, you've got another clip. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got two more clips here, but I'll, I'll just say from a personal experience, uh, you know, I think I mentioned before, our, our team was the the main support team behind Scott Atlas when he was at the White House. And at one point, I was trying to just understand, well, you're decimating these people. Why aren't they changing course? What's going on? He says, Justin, you just got to know these people are dumb. So uh, hang on, let me get, um, this Amen. is a representative Bishop, North Carolina. He, this is something that the, the Congress uh, people have been doing of late and it bugs me, but um, I'm, I'm not quite sure the context here. He's got his phone and he's holding up a clip. I think it's of Taibi or something. And then he asked Taibi to comment on it. Let's just listen in and see if you can make sense of this. Country creates their own narrative story. And, and, you know, my old job at the State Department was what people used to joke as the chief propagandist job. We haven't talked about propaganda. Propaganda, I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it, and they have to do it to their own population. Every country does it. Every country does propaganda, and they have to do it to their own people, is what Mr. Stingle said. If I understand correctly, he was the head of the, of the, G, of the Global Engagement Center at its creation, right? He was, and in his book, um, Information Wars, there's, there are a number of passages where he talks about creating a whole of government solution to the information problem. He hastened to say that he didn't want to create any, a quote, information ministry, and, but what he was describing roughly approximates that. In the half minute I've got left, he also was associated with Hamilton 68, right? Um, um, the, the Global Engagement Center certainly had ties to Hamilton 68. I think it's closer than that. Well, that'll come out. Okay. Well, that's interesting. The, the Stengel, so Stengel, of course, uh, is at the center of this whole thing. Uh, name redacted some thoughts on that real quick. Uh, I, I guess the, the one point they said about him wanting to create sort of a, a center uh, of, you know, to manage this information, it has happened, and that is the foreign malign influence Center, so there is a central, and that was passed in law. Like 
So it can't just be easily shut down. That was passed in the, it was opened through the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act. So the Foreign Malign Influence Center, they have it. That's what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's doing the same thing as the Disinformation Governance Board that was shut down. And, you know, it speaks for itself. That's what, what Stengel was talking well, about. Well, the, the real problem with that, the, if, the real problem with the Foreign Malign Influence yeah. Center is that what the re, the way that they're going to, because it's an authorized institution, the way that they're going to come in and uh, and go after speech, it gives them a great excuse because everything's the Russian hoax or uh, Ukrainian influence into blah, 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 whatever they want to throw in there. Uh, Iran is and we saw a lot of Iran stuff in the files today. So they're going to twist everything just like they did with the Russia hoax and a lot of different things they are going to twist in some foreign influence uh, thing to try to uh, stop other speech that they'd also like to stop. That's that's what's really yeah. harmful about that. the, the bottom line is is if they don't like a narrative being pushed on social media, uh, they if they to get around the domestic issue that they cannot censor domestic speech, they will label it as foreign, sponsored or amplified, and it will get brought down. They will order social media companies to take it down. And but but what they're law, showing is this organization is claiming public facing, is claiming to be neutral and objective, and its founder and leader is publicly saying. He believes in propaganda and it being pushed on a domestic population. These are the orgs they pointed to, the government, education institutions, corporate media, and said, you can trust these people. They were all funded by the government, whether the contractors themselves, the NGOs, etc., and by their own words, they were out there to push propaganda. Now, remember, yeah, exactly to your point, when the GEC was founded uh, through an Obama executive order, their first mission was to they were the ones that actually put out a narrative to counter ISIS and Al Qaeda. So they were publishing uh, counter narratives and pushing them you know, foreign in these foreign countries. And now it's been pushed back onto you know, what we're seeing through the Twitter files on the uh, in the U.S., to you know our citizens so are they also publishing their own false narratives to counter what we're putting out you know it's mission like creep. lab leak theory for instance and in u.s socom as reported in the intercept a couple of days ago in 2020 they launched an initiative to use deep fakes and iot devices to uh, push out propaganda so that's something concerning and you guys need to check that out yeah see so that's like Aside from the censorship debate we're having and that we know that they're taking down content online, are they also putting out their own narratives that are who are really the people putting out disinformation? And it is our government. And Stengel says he believes in propaganda. That is disinformation. Yep, And keep in mind, U.S. SOCOM is DOD. So this is a this is a big deal. I've got another clip here real quick. This is from uh, Taibi again, and he's talking about the FBI and what he discovered through that. The short clip, 45 seconds. The FBI was essentially um, creating, doing word searches keyed to Twitter's terms of service, um, looking for violations of terms of service, specifically so that they could make recommendations along those lines, which we found interesting. Do you believe it's the FBI's responsibility to police the terms of service for a private company? I do not. I I think you cannot have a state-sponsored anti-disinformation effort um, 
and also without directly striking at the whole concept of free speech, I think the two ideas are in direct conflict. Uh, I think that's a fascinating take there, which is to say, do you think the FBI should be doing this trolling? I mean, essentially, we know what they're up to, right? It's like, well, we're just we're just pointing out and being a helpful citizen to uh, take down these particular posts that are against your service anyways, right? And we know what they're trying to do, right? And it just becomes hugely problematic, if not anathema to the founding of, you know, our, our country there. So, yeah, now I know a lot of focus is on the FBI, but just remember uh, the Office of Director of National Intelligence is the top dog. They are the they are the supervisor of the entire intelligence community and their elections are Shelby Pearson. I posted it at the top. She said exactly that, that they that the Office of Director of National Intelligence, which includes, you know, the FBI under them, they share in, intelligence with social media discuss their terms of service of these platforms and find ways to remove what they deem as inauthentic content. So this is very intrusive. Do we want intelligence, not just government, do we want the intelligence community to be discussing the social media platform's terms of service and basically how to sort of rewrite that or use that to remove content that that the intelligence community deems as misinformation? Yeah, yeah, a perfect example we had when in the in the FOIAs that I got back from my lawsuit uh, with the, the BOLO meetings, the be on the lookout meetings, what the government would do, uh, the CDC, the HHS, is they would put together, here are some examples of some posts, right, that we think are just the types of things that you should be on the lookout for, right? Well, they, they actually included the URLs in there, the Instagram posts, the Facebook posts, and you can go back and if you, you know, decipher the coding there, you can interpret what accounts those came from, what were those posts, they're all gone. I mean, so, you know, the, the implication is these are just examples, do with this as you want, and dutifully every single one is taken down and some of them you know were information misinformation but some of them were legit like for example they had a whole page a whole powerpoint on here are the types of posts that are talking about uh the the impacts of the vaccine on menstrual issues right and we think these ought to be taken down. It turns out that's absolutely true right how many people were harmed because they didn't have full consent knowledge about the stuff that was absolutely true because the government was censoring it right legitimate legitimate issues Life, life-altering issues. I want to go. I want to go to Tammy. Tammy, how are you? Uh, sorry, before you go, Joe, I'll give you the mic as well because I know you've been trying to speak. But Tammy, I just want to quickly welcome you to stage. Hi, thank you guys. How are you? Good, good. I've been keeping up with the files recently. I think it'd be good to not sure if you're keeping up with the testimony, but what we could do is Justin, maybe you can give Tammy a, a quick update of what we've seen with the testimony so far, because I know you're going through a lot of clips and Slyman is working on the thread in the background. Maybe you yeah. can give watched, Tammy just a quick I, I quick one minute. The, up. Ah, watched you watched it. it. There you go. I watched the Twitter testimony. I thought it was interesting how, you know, they're talking about the Biden administration when Trump was the one that was colluding with his um, his administration was actually trying to get Twitter to delete tweets and shut down accounts and all kinds of, and they even changed the rules for him um, to accommodate him. And, but you have, you know, Jim Jordan and other Republicans trying to make it out like it's Biden. So I just, again, it's the, you know, I think that there's a lot of projection over things that they actually do that they, you know, try to say that other people are doing. So um, it's been really interesting. 
Well, and Tammy, let me ask you. So um, I've actually been going over these Twitter files quite a bit and had Matt Taibbi in and was able to ask him a couple questions. And the question was asked uh, several times. How many requests did you see um, the Trump administration actually make to take down content? And they actually, so how the process works is they have to submit to a team at Twitter saying, hey, we're looking for this information, this information, and this information. Is there anything related to it, anything that we can get? Then the team gets back and it gives it to them. So Matt Taibbi's actually been asking uh, these teams uh, for that information, and they haven't really come up with much. There was one example that he put out in one of the Twitter file drops. But other than that, he said specifically that there really wasn't much and they were looking for it. Several trash. Does, does Trump ever do anything through traditional channels? Never. No, they had phone conversations with the people. They exactly. were in like almost daily telephone conversations with the Twitter staff and trying to get them to shut different things down. So then it would go to their panel and then they would do their investigation. Like uh, uh, Chrissy uh, Teigen's tweet, for example, um, so since she called him a pussy ass bitch, then um, her tweet violated the three insults that then um, they were able to use that to um, delete the tweet. But I mean, they were in like daily conversations calling Twitter. It it seemed like they had them on speed dial or something. Daily conversations? <laughs> what the fuck? What? Yeah, what? I don't. I, no, yeah, I haven't seen any evidence for that either. Watch Tammy, the but... evidence. You can watch the testimony. It was on TV. I mean, it's not on now. It was like two, I need three some. Weeks ago I need some evidence had... for this. I, the, you know, it just seems like you're throwing staff, out claims here. No, the staff testified. I'm telling you what they said in their testimony that C-SPAN covered. I watched the testimony of the Twitter staff of what they said that they would receive phone calls from Trump's administration complaining, wanting different tweets taken down. So then they would have to do their investigation to see if it violated the Twitter rules. Twitter even changed the rules so Trump's own tweets could stay up. That is how much that they were, you know, working with the Trump administration. So to say that Twitter, you know, turned on Trump is just completely false. Well, Um, actually, it's not. It's actually not, Tammy. Well, and there's actually entire can, Twitter files dropped. We can agree about to this. disagree. I mean, no, no, no. I'm sorry about agreeing to watch disagree. the testimony. No, it's, 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 not, it's not. It's not. It's they not. They actually testified. I'll let Trash respond. I'll let Trash respond to this. Uh, Trash, go ahead. Yeah. So, Tammy, there's actually an entire Twitter files drop with evidence where the employees were actually c- conversing with each other through Slack, through email, on on how they could manipulate the rules so they could take down Trump's account, so they could ban and silence the supporters to, to take down other content. Like there was coordination. We actually have the physical evidence of this. So whether or not a uh, campaign uh, person or people within the Trump administration are saying, hey, we don't like these words. Can you guys take them down? Whether they did it or not is not really the conversation here because we know we saw it was actually coordinated. <laughs> but we have it like it's it's all here. Well, it was. I also watched the testimony in front of the whole um you guys should actually watch the testimony other than finding your like, you know, deep internet files that you think that you have or whatever. I mean, you should watch the testimony that they (laughs) actually gave in front of the senators and other people that literally Hold on, hold on, Ian, hold on, Ian. Yeah, sorry, Tammy, yeah, yeah. So, you know, let Ian, I'll just just let Tammy finish off and I'll let you respond. I was respectful of you and let you speak so you can let me speak. Or are we going to play this game that you're going to talk over me? No, no. I'm not oh, oh, good, Tim, oh, good. No, Mike, Mike is yours. Mike is yours. 
you guys should actually watch the testimony of the employees that were all of the different senators and Congress people from our government actually asked them questions. You guys should actually do your due diligence to watch the testimony that was given other than just, you know, seeking things out on the Internet. And you might learn some other things. That's all I wanted to say. Um, no, it's th thanks for sharing your thoughts, Tammy. I, my connection did drop in and out, so I didn't hear all the points. If I did miss something, I apologize. But uh, Ian or Justin, I think you're responding. Emergent, I know you've been waiting for a while. I've just got a great clip. We've been telling tape. We've been playing a lot of Taibi. Let's go timing. to Schellenberger. Yeah. Just a minute and a half. Please. Here you go. I've never worked on an issue where so frequently while doing it, I just had chills go up my spine because of what I was seeing happening. I never thought in my own country that freedom of speech would be threatened in this way. And it's just frightening when you get into it. Um, the most recent, uh, our, our most recent discoveries, I mean, I think you understand the process is that we first raised a bunch of concerns around the way Twitter pre Elon Musk was, uh, censoring people and creating blacklists, very quickly we discovered that we had FBI agents uh, basically and, and other government officials, you know, demanding that Twitter take certain actions. We now know that the Department of Homeland Services, uh, which has uh, had, what's that? Security. Security, sorry. <laughs> Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, had had to try, try to create a disinformation board. Uh, that went away after public backlash, but we now realize that they have this other enterprise and they've been building out basically mechanisms to proliferate a censorship industrial complex around the country to censor on a whole range of issues. And so you've seen them, you've seen this censorship industry go from, well, we're just fighting ISIS to, well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots to, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation, which is just saying we need to fight against people who are saying things we disagree with online. That's all that means. And I, I mean, it's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a, a terrifying mechanism that I, we only see in totalitarian societies of attempting to gain control over what the social media platforms are allow, are allowing. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's just, it starts at DHS, but we basically see, um, almost every government agency involved. A mechanism, does, a scary mechanism. I think that's a, an apt analogy there. So yeah, that, that, that goes right to the Foreign Malign Influence Center. The, the DHS Disinformation Governance Board was shut down, and the, the Foreign Malign Influence Center opened up five months ago. No one's talking about it. I'm the only person who's tweeted about it. It's not on the news, not even being discussed at Congress today, but it's there and it's active, and they meet with CISA every week, and they have monthly conference calls through CISA with social media companies. One th one thing that Tammy said that um, she said it was Twitter employees that testified that Trump was on a daily routine call. It wasn't just Twitter employees. It was people's in Trump's administration that were also on that um, in that that also confirmed that Trump constantly asked for things to be taken down. And there's even an article in the Rolling Stone about it that I could also share with you guys. It wasn't it was on both sides. It's not just one. Yeah, side. I said the admin too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you provide us that link there? That'd be great. Does it make it okay? That's my. Yeah, question. I'll post it. It doesn't make it okay. No, it's not okay. No, then but why is it that we're slamming not, these guys? These two men, these two journalists in Congress. Why are we attacking them? You know, why? Why? Why is it that it's such a it's such a problem and Trump <laughs> does it, but it's not a problem at all when when the government is actually no. It's it's people. a problem when both do it, Ian. And yet, like, exactly. it's a problem. It's, it's government, government no one, overreaching. You know, like I, no one here on this panel is defending what Trump wants. Like if Trump wanted Chrissy Teigen banned, you know, shame on him for that for not understanding the fact that she has free speech and, and he, she, he, she can call him whatever she wants. 
honestly, right? And so shame on him for doing that. But it's 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 a red herring. It's a distraction. It's like saying, well, he did it too. I guess it's okay. No, it's not okay. And, it's not okay at all. Ian, he's if you think no, about if you think about how this started, he's this started because conversation. It's a this started because of the Taliban, Ian. It started because of the Taliban, and um, now I forget his name, Mark, whatever Zuckerberg got a ton of shit for for allowing the Taliban recruitment videos and tactics to go through Facebook. So they started censoring and the government got involved. And as always, whenever the government gets involved, they over they overreach. They go heavy handed to be safe, to get reelected or for whatever purpose they do it. I don't think it's a coordinated effort to try to change the conversation. It's them trying to be as safe as possible, as they always do. And they overreach and they go heavy handed. It goes back to the conversation we had last night about the, the the teachers getting involved with what gender kids should be. Like they're trying to do a good job, but they always go too fucking far when the solution is simple. Flag the posts. You don't have to censor people. And that's what always happens. People take power to an extreme in the government. But it's on both sides. We can't make this a left or right thing. It's it's both parties did the same exactly. shit. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly correct. It is not a Republican Democrat thing. And for those arguing that what took place was okay, it, say if you're on the left and you're making that argument, well, just remember, this government overreach is unconstitutional and it can be applied in the future to you. Yeah. And, and, and again, um, I can, Tammy, I can appreciate whether we agree or disagree politically. And the overarching conversation here is that there are government taxpayer-funded national security apparatuses that have a direct pipeline to be able to wage influence on these social media companies to say what is and what can uh, and what can't be posted. That's what I was saying. Yeah. What? I, no. I just I was making the point that it was not just the Biden administration, like a lot of people are trying to say, I was simply pointing out that Trump's administration was doing it too. I don't condone any administration doing that. Um, okay. That was all I was trying to say. So yeah. please, nobody try to misconstrue what I was trying to convey. I was simply pointing out Trump's administration was doing it also, but our you know, Jim Jordan, who is my opponent, by the way, is trying to make this out like it is a Biden administration problem and not even addressing that Trump's administration was doing those things. So that's the only point I was trying to make. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, 100 percent. But what I'm saying specifically is that at, at the retail political level, yes, I get that. I understand that. What I'm saying is that this is a far more egregious uh uh, thing going on here than either side, Democrats or Republicans, asking to get st stuff taken down. This is basically a machine that has industrialized censorship by the taxpayer dollar, regardless if it's right or left. And they had absolute control. And they even, we just went through this, how they even set up a Slack channel so they could all coordinate together to determine what they're going to have taken down and do all these things. So it, it, again, it, at a retail politic level, yes, I understand. But this is this is way bigger than that. And so... Maybe we I also hand. have a problem with Elon Musk because um, so for me watching the Twitter testimony, I got a better understanding of how they do uh, manipulate the system in terms of um, promoting accounts or dispromoting other accounts. And I've noticed a change in my own account since Elon Musk has taken over. I noticed a drop in my not just followers, which I understand some people left, but also just my post in general. So 
And then I see uh, Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene's accounts constantly in my face and uh, being promoted to follow them all the time. So, um, you know, there's something to be said about that as well. And, you know, I don't think that it's right to, um, you know, have someone who has such power over a social media platform to then sway it towards left or right. And so for him to be able to do that, I don't think is right either. So, I mean, I don't think he's doing that. I don't think he's doing that on purpose. I think a lot of people here, even in this room, he's doing it on purpose, but that's no, I don't think so. I, 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 the reason I, why I'm saying that, we can agree to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) So Tammy, it's an interesting point. I'm just trying to, I want to finish yeah. my point. Yeah, go ahead, Tammy. I'll I let you finish need... your point. I'd love to respond to it, Ian, if you don't mind. Go ahead, Tammy. We need to have some, I mean, the internet is something that has been completely untapped. And we really do need to have some type of regulation or something on the internet because a lot of people... You know, back in the day, we used because to have more laws media are good, integrity right? I mean, we laws. trust the government to, to get in, involved in everything. Uh, they do such in, a uh, tremendously good job have, regulating um, everything. You know, well, I mean, Ian, like we haven't Ian, seen Ian, them Ian, fuck up any time. You know, they're perfect. Ian. Ian, Ian, please, just, uh, I'd, I'd love her to finish your point, please, man. And and I'll respond, and I'll, I'll, you got the chance to respond right after me. Go ahead, Tammy, I'll let you finish your point because I want to respond to Elon's point as well. Thank you. So back in the day, we used to have media integrity laws where it was um, information based on facts and they're used to have to have equal representation. And nowadays, everything is so opinionated, whether it's Tucker Carlson or, you know, I don't know, yeah. Don Lemon or someone on CNN or whatever. Everything but isn't is that, so isn't that just free speech? But isn't that not free speech? Watching, hold on. People are not even watching the news anymore. They do not know what news station or source is even credible anymore. So people are getting their information and news from the internet. They're getting it from social media. And, so, and, so tell and me, I'm just going to... I'm just going to jump in, not to be rigid, because I know there's a few hands up. I, I want to really address quickly the first point you made about Elon. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting observation, and we had someone on stage earlier that comes on the stage all the time, uh, Brian Krasenstein and his brother Ed was in the audience. So the Krasensteins came in; they were unsuspended by obviously the, the Elon's Twitter, and they blew up. They get, if you look at their account now, they're getting hundreds of thousands per. I remember the early days; I would laugh at them, how little their impressions were, or joke at them. Um, and then they started just blowing up, blowing up. Now they're reaching millions of people per impression, multiple um, per tweet, multiple times a day. And one of the most popular accounts on the entire platform. And they're obviously um, more liberal. So uh, that's just an example of, of of the algorithm not really favoring one side or the other. There are other examples, but they're probably the biggest one that I've seen. Um, so the, the I, I just think example, it's... Mario. The counter example that I was trying to bring up is that there are a lot of conservatives that I know for complaining that they're being censored. They think oh, that they're being mm. censored. They think, you know, mm. their reach has dropped off. I mean, Cat Turk, for example, I don't like the guy very much, but he pointed out, and he pointed out, you know, showed some data showing that his engagement has actually significantly dropped since Elon took over, and he was calling out Elon. And so, you know, it's all across the board. The algorithm's messed up right now. You know, that's, that's mm. just a plain, simple fact. And we had we had the uh, – what was the space? Who did we have on the space where we that visited Elon and visited the Twitter office? Uh, the Ruben. Um, yeah, Ruben. Uh, Ruben. Yeah. yeah. So we had Ruben. We had Ruben report on the on the space where we just, he, you know, he had a talk. Uh, he, he Elon. Uh, he asked Elon. He's like, hey, is there any about? Is there anyone I can't speak to, or is there anything I'm not allowed to share? He's like, as long as it's true, you can share it. So he gave him a, a blank check, share anything you like, and and he came back and explained 
the difficulties they're facing, and there was nothing to indicate there was any bias. I'm sure there is bias. Now, the other point you made, Tammy, that I agree with, and I've, I've been vocal, not vocal, but I've said this before, is that concentration of power is never good. And, and and no one's immune to that. doesn't mean – even if it's an incredibly good person because eventually that person could be replaced by someone else or, or you know, they're, 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 I'm sure they've got their own biases. The good thing – the reason I don't criticize Elon on this on having so much influence over a platform like Twitter, not because he's a great guy, not because his intentions are good, because he is looking at decentralizing it. So he's got – on his roadmap. It's heading towards decentralization, and community notes is an example of this. So that's why I'm I'm not as worried as, and it's it's it, you know I'm not dismissing your worry, um, and a concentration of power is what leads to censorship, but I'm not too worried because the the path that they're on right now is towards um uh, more decentralization. But I know there's a few more hands that are up. And yeah, uh, let me, uh, hey, hey, Mario, let me introduce. Uh, yeah, go ahead, man. No, no, let me introduce Bricksuit here. Uh, Bricksuit, you guys know, I I was at CPAC last week and. I saw him hanging out. I think we, we shook hands briefly. I've seen him uh, over the last decade. You'll, you'll see him very notably because he has this brick suit, uh, a very issue-oriented guy. But, Brick, uh, tell us your thoughts on, on this issue, what you're seeing. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I want to start out. Uh, lately, when I've joined these spaces, I've had problems getting cut off after an amount of time. So if I get cut off here, it's the Android app. It's nobody censoring me. I want to get that out of the way. Um, that being said, a, on this issue of censorship, there's, you know, clearly what we're seeing today is they're not, they're knowingly censoring the truth at times when they're talking about things that will promote vaccine hesitancy, even if they're factual. That to me is extremely, extremely disturbing. On some other things, they've always had the, the you know, the wiggle room of, oh, it's possibly misinformation. Oh, it's not confirmed. But here we have you know, to, uh, you know, evidence presented that they know something to be true and yet they are censoring it. I think that's the pause he's talking Android about. Drop, Hang on. There you go, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing, apparently. It is. That's crazy. Do you want to go to quickly while, while waiting for it to come back? Hang on, Brick. I think it's coming. I'll give you two seconds, Brick. One, two. Are you back, Brick? Okay. Uh, emerging. Oh, we've got a no, Emergent's okay, yeah, been waiting for a while. Yeah. Emergent, then we go to Piotr. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I've just I've got a few comments on here. Um, what I'd, I'd, I'd like to kind of take a step back. I think the overarching theme we see here with all of this, with the Twitter files and what we're learning about the disinformation industrial complex and the way the political discussion has devolved, I think we're as Western civilization we're at the we're at the tail end of a cycle where the public opinion consensus-making apparatus, if you will, is undergoing a very rapid change. And I think you kind of see two phases of it. First is the arrival of the Internet and the early Internet apps uh, in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but then you kind of see a second phase of it when we hit the 20, late 2000, uh, like 2008, 2009, arrival of the iPhone and many of the, the, the mobile social media apps where you go from the Internet being there to it being ever-present, right? And I think we're, we're transitioning out of a phase in society where we've had broadcast media, academia, 
uh, politicians and certain institutional sources having almost 100% control over uh, what you could call the, the consensus-making apparatus, right? What, what, what the narrative is, what information is put out. Uh, and inevitably, there's a, there's a concept in communications theory of gatekeeping. I mean, every journalist you know, has, gets a hundred stories and there's only enough airtime to air three or four of them. So whether you like it or not, there is an inherent bit of power that goes with being the person who chooses which four stories out of those hundred get airtime and which don't. Um, it's kind of an inevitable byproduct of the information age. Somebody has to be the filter. And I think we're transitioning from an age where, a very small number of people get to be that filter to where you have a more open open market of ideas, which is kind of good in some ways. You know, we're 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 getting to hear from groups, and you know, I mean, I mean, even this Twitter space right now, this is now part of the consensus making apparatus, and but it's also maybe uh, bad or or in some cases catastrophic. I think there's a lot of uh, evidence that. Um, you know some of the some of the effects that that it has on the mental health of youth and uh, a lot of the 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 woke ideas and some of the gender ideology stuff that's become overblown and I think is harmful to young people. There's a lot of evidence that a lot of that originated on uh, websites like Tumblr. So um, I think the coming decades are going to be a reckoning with the new forces that are at play here, and we're already experiencing a bumpy ride. And it, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but I, I also think that you're seeing some of these institutional sources, like I said, the old consensus making apparatus. I mean, nobody who gains any kind of power or influence or, or, or gets used to being a gatekeeper wants to give that up. And now what you're seeing, I think, with, with the, these public private partnerships and all of this is it's, kind of an an underhanded attempt to seize back the narrative let's discredit anybody that's going off narrative let's discredit anybody that's not an institutional source and i think ultimately that side of this i mean well and they're transitioning from having a very soft okay i receive a hundred news stories and i choose which four get airtime that's a very soft way of exercising power and they're transitioning from that to a very hard way of exercising power actively going after people actively trying you know all everything we've seen in the twitter files with the fbi standing over yoel roth's shoulder saying censor this post censor that post and um like it or not regardless of what you believe about the covid narrative it seems like the the covid was really seized upon as as a catalyst for really pushing a lot of this uh this attempt to seize control uh, of the narrative back and uh that's that's my take on this and i think that's regardless of which political side of the aisle you're on we've all got to come to grips with that and i i think um you know what what tammy said with well some people are going to the internet for their information well like i said sometimes that's bad and sometimes that's very good and that's very necessary there are real scandals real people who've been harmed uh, that have come to light only because somebody went to the internet and gave their story. So I think that's very disingenuous to try and paint that as categorically a bad thing. I think you have to make a case for a particular instance being bad or being good and trying to paint it all as bad to me really comes across like, like uh, again, you're on the side of, of I want institutional sources to control the narrative, even that pro-censorship statement. That's exactly that. what that, that side of the aisle believes. I did not say that. 
say that at all whatsoever. I simply said people are not people do not know what news sources to trust and people are getting their information from social media which may or may not be accurate. That is what I was saying. I'm not saying it turns out the evening news is not accurate either. We do have uh, yeah, free speech in agreed. this country, but I mean, you know, when people are, you know, trusting, I have a cousin who believed the bullshit about the vaccine and other uh, right wing extremist things about COVID, and she ended up dying of COVID. I mean, you know, there's right. some people oh, that well, even right there. I mean, like, issues. what do you what, what do you mean oh, no, the Justin, BS stuff a, about the COVID just vaccine? A, Justin, before getting into the vaccine, Justin, quick question. You did jump in and say something interesting. You said, um, what was it like you said, media's, media's well, wrong as well or something I along mean, those like, lines the, before the look, vaccine? A, a, a lot of people, yeah, look, a lot of people right. yearn for the days when, you know, there was one single source. It was the evening news. Everybody watched the same thing. But we'll, and, and that, you know, now we're getting a lot of misinformation because people are trusting the Internet. Look, if, if I trusted just the evening news, I would have my myself, my family, my five-year-old, my five-month-old, vaxxed up to the hilt we'd be you know sheltering in place this was the right thing to do closing schools was the right thing to do instead i said hell's to the no i'm going to fight that tooth and nail i went and found my own information i looked online i gathered people online turns out i was right on every single issue right and so the issue is like look the, the, we, we've shown again and again the demonstrable issue for example the hunter biden laptop the russian story you know all this misinformation that came straight from the top was fed just True. deplorably no, I, Justin, at I, the, the mass media I've level. I've got a question for you, Justin. I've got a question for you, Justin. So I agree with everything you said. Now we tend to agree on most things, but I've got a question. Yeah, um, great, right? Would I you say there's? Would you it's say awesome. that? Would you say that mainstream media has more misinformation than social media, or vice versa? I think Justin. the main issue with mainstream media is the stuff they do not tell you about, right? It's the stuff they choose, like, like that really doesn't need to be covered. We've talked about all of these issues now over the last hour. None of this is going to be covered very prominently in any of the mainstream media. You could only do this by being here on the spaces, being on social media, watching yourself what, on YouTube. What's, what's, what's an example? So, just what's an East example? East Palestine, of this? Mario. Mario, East Palestine. Okay. The media wasn't covering it yeah. until we did, right? There's yeah, like exactly. a handful of places that, you know, ran stories but they, trained development. But blah, they, blah, they, blah. they ended up, they ended up, did end up covering it and they didn't cover it Eventually, enough, but it was still covered. Them into it, it was still, next, no, but it was still, he got more attention to it. That's true, but it was still covered. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it was covered Eventually, enough. Yeah, now, I'm not protecting. No, no, no. Even before, before Ian, before no, no, Ian, but before no mainstream media. But I don't. I'm not here protecting mainstream media. Here I am disrupting yeah, it, doing a lot of work in the background. So I'm not protecting it. But I'm just trying to. It's just a good discussion. So and and also not all mainstream media is is, is equal. Obviously, it's not made equal. Um, no. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but just, uh, just on that, on that particular statement, uh, for you and, for Ian and Justin, um, so, so with the Ohio story, it was covered, just not enough. And obviously Nick brought a lot more attention to it. Yeah, after like a but day, I they say that, talking about what's it. They're a, talking about a fucking balloon instead. True, true. As a valid point, like, where are they focused? But remember, their goal is to get, their main goal is to make money. How do they make money? Advertisers. Advertisers want as much reach as possible, relevant reach. So the, the media outlets want to get as many people on their platform as possible. And we've seen this happen time and time again where they share – they talk about stories that even they might not want to talk about but the audience wants to hear. Yeah. So that's the, – they the give us the what we want media. to hear. The, so, the cable news right. media operates in a very interesting fashion and I think Charlie Brooker, you know, the creator of – Black Mirror, he used to run a pretty good show on the BBC. I think it was BBC4. 
the show was called Screen Wipe, and he did one called News Swipe. It was several episodes, I believe. You should watch that. I think it's free on uh, YouTube right now. It's called News Swipe. And he actually explained how the mainstream media works. When we talk about mainstream media, we're not talking about your local TV channels. Obviously, they're going to cover whatever the hell they want, right? But the cable news networks, they run on a certain uh, kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, a, a news cycle. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a five-day news cycle. So after Friday, you don't cover very much. There's, even if something big in, interesting happens on say a friday night they won't cover it because they don't the ratings are just too low so they don't even bother with it it's very insidious and 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 the news you know these uh, cable news networks they're chiefly responsible for the war in afghanistan the war in iraq they, they were the ones who drove the numbers um so the support for those wars, which we later found out, you know, like especially Iraq, you know, not so much Afghanistan, but Iraq, that the whole thing was, you know, WMDs was made up. Uh, but they, they broadcast this thing night and day, you know, they showed war footage, you know, like endless bombing, like, oh, America's hearts and minds campaign, you know, shock and awe campaign, just bombing the hell out of these uh, Iraqis, civilians, mind you. But the way they painted it was in such a way that it, it actually made the Americans look good, even though they were killing civilians, like thousands and thousands of people were dying. I know people from there, from that region, who are completely upset with the way that mainstream media operates because they're able to, uh, and this is something that uh, Norm Chomsky talks about, and Bernie Sanders sometimes references it, he calls it manufacturing consent. And that's the job of the cable news networks. They're in bed industrial complex and so it's kind of their job to serve as a propaganda arm for the u.s government right and and all of its uh, uh, moneyed interests and you see this in china as well china's more blatant about it it's not exactly that ian it, they they get a bigger audience by being an echo chamber and that's been proven and that's why these companies have become echo chambers because their audience is large. It's not that they're in bed with these companies. It's those are their sources because they're trying to be as much of an echo chamber as possible because that's what gets them eyeballs and that's what makes them money. Yes, yeah, so the, the incentives, the incentives are not aligned. And before before you go, Aaron, just Justin, I want to go back to the question I had to you. Um, so the question is. Which one do you think has more misinformation? Mainstream media, I know it's a very broad, vague term, or social media? And I've got a follow-up question to that, or statement. Justin? I think the, the, way, okay. I think the, the better oh, question sorry. is, which one has like more potent sort of um, information that you know is valuable to you, right? And I would say social media, absolutely. Because the, the issue that you have with mainstream media and watching just you know the basic news every night typically it's lagged typically it's filtered typically they don't give you the whole story they don't give you the other side they have a very specific narrative to push and everything else there but when i go online and i see my brother and my cousin i know their i know their position already i know their biases i know what to expect what not to expect but that's up to me right and i can get my information more quickly and i always go back to my covid stuff right like it was supposed that outdoor transmission was a thing, that hospitals were overloaded all over the country, that quarantining healthy people, that school closures were the right way to go. The fatality rate was three times that of influenza. None of that was true, okay. right? And, and we were saying that for, for March it's, 2020. It's, 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 it's a good answer. It's a good answer. Justin, I've just got another question for you. Yeah, so yeah. for someone that's working nine to nine, okay, and, and they work yeah. six days a week, they don't have the, you know, the, the time or knowledge or resources to validate information that all of us can on this panel. What's the solution for them? Well, what, what, it, they, they're like, they said, they said to you, okay, Justin, I want a source of information that I know. I'll just get the facts. I get balanced facts. Where do I go? 
Because if I ask someone, if I ask uh, uh, one person that can tell me Fox, another person can tell me CNN, another person can give me some influencer to follow, uh, and, and, and how do I know which one is the objective one? And this is me giving away my trust to a central entity to tell me what the facts are. Well, and you know whether that central entity will true. It is, it is. But is it, but it, true, true. But, it, but there was a solution for someone that does, that's working 12, 15 hours a day, seven I days a week. I simple answer to this. Mario, no, I mean, exactly. Yes, I, I, I don't have, and I don't have, I don't have the answer, and I don't, and I don't have the answer. So just if you're, if you're an intelligent, Mario, I come here, I come here to pick it. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you one example. Good, good answer, Joe. We got a, we got a shield. You know, or we got a shield. We got a shield. Oh yeah, that's right. We got the perfect answer. Yeah, Joe, Joe, say, say the answer. Say Joe, say it again, please. I come here to get the facts. I have changed my opinion because of this space. Like, there's a lot of things I disagree with, but then sometimes things just make a lot of sense. And I'm like, oh, let me dig deeper. And they were right. And I've changed my opinion on things because I'm hearing all sides. Well, and, and, by That's way, awesome. and by the way, proof, to to proof that, that like, freedom I, of speech is the way to go. The biggest purvey, purveyor, I'm not going to use the word misinformation or malinformation because um, they don't actually mean true and false. They, they mean something else now. They're very slippery con concepts. The biggest purveyor of false information over the last three years has been the United States government. So the freedom of speech. No, there's no but. You believe in freedom of speech or you don't. If some entity, uh, whether public I think or you're private, dropping out, Aaron. choosing I'm not sure what is true. Your end. Uh, Okay, you're dropping it in and out. Um, I, I'll go to, to Trash. Yeah, and so I want to kind of touch on this real quick. So what we've seen out of the... Oh, but do you know, Trash, do you know where I'm... Do you know where, I'm not sure if you're, you're going to continue on the point. I made a separate point, sorry, just before I talk. I'm going back to the media, yeah, yeah, specifically. So, uh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah, so I'm curious. Yeah, I, I had a question on that as well, but go ahead. Yeah, so what we saw has happened in the cable news, right? It, it, they stopped, they brought a lot of their reporters home, their investigative journalists, they brought them back and they weren't really paying for them to go out and actually do investigative, investigative work because they were finding that they were getting eyeballs and ratings on these opinion shows. And so you have all these opinion shows that are masquerading as an actual news source when that's why they're not really telling you what's going on because they're just doing what they can to sell and they can, pretty much say whatever they want or posit or or slant whatever information they're trying to cover because it's an, it's an opinion it's not they're not presenting themselves as a as actually like okay this is actually what happened data journalists it's just a bunch of opinion panels and so i think that's clouding the judgment of a lot of people on the information yeah, I guarantee you more people watch The View try to slander Seymour Hirsch instead of actually reading his uh, report on it, right? Like, this is what right. goes on, where they, you know, they, they take a piece of news, a slight bit of it, and, 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 and speak very incoherently and, and, and through complete ignorance or through malice, uh, try to promote a narrative. Um, Speaking part, of promoting a, a narrative, I got a great yeah, clip here. This is 55 seconds. Matt Getz talking with Schellenberger, talking with Taibbi, talking about what it felt like to be censored by the government. Hang on, here it is. But if a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. get to decide what the truth is and then enforce it on the country and then punish and target those who report on their conduct, we are drifting more toward that. How did you feel, Mr. Tybee, when you saw your name? I was you know, upset, obviously. Um, I, 
I lived in uh, Russia during the 90s and early 2000s. I was there when Putin took power. I was friends with a group of uh, very brave, uh, muckraking reporters in Russia, many of whom didn't make it. A few of them um, were murdered after Putin came to power. So I've always been conscious of how the risks that other reporters take in other countries are incredibly severe. And that's one of the reasons why I'm motivated to protect the First Amendment, because our, our country has the best protections for reporters in the world. Short clip there. Yeah, I, interesting comments there. I think um, <laughs> what we're going to find is if I, I think this is still going on, right? The hearing is still going on. Maybe they took a break it's for lunch a, here. It's, it's a drill. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's still going Oh, is it adjourned? Is it I thought it finished. Is it? Is it just adjourned? Ian, I was... I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I might be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Does anyone? If anyone in the audience, I don't know. Let let us... could be taking a break. Yeah. Let I, us. I think... If anyone's check, watching check from the, the audience. Yeah, or anyone can check in the audience. Let us know in the comments. That'll be great. Uh, but Simon, maybe you've been covering it. You've been tweeting this whole thread that everyone's looking at. Um, so I'd love you to give us an overview of the, uh, of um, you know a recap of everything you've you've tweeted so far and that's thread and anyone that wants to look at the thread let me pin it above again it's on my profile pin but Slaman gets the credit for it Jesus everyone's pinning tweets let me pin it above so yeah Slaman give us a bit of an overview then I'd love to get uh, Kim's thoughts on all this yeah I mean I think the most uh, important one was probably what Justin played just now which was um, Matt Taibbi basically talking about what distinguishes or what he felt like distinguished the United States from other countries and that was the importance of free speech um, and so when that's been curtailed or that's and, and there's moves being made to stop it that's concerning and the same clip that Justin played as it carries on he says that his concern is that this is just the starting point for something which is going to be much much worse when it comes to stopping journalism and ensuring that everything is controlled by the state. And I think that's a valid concern. And I think that's the reason why we're having these Twitter spaces. That's the reason people are speaking out. This isn't a left or right issue. This is an issue of speech. And I think it's just a major issue. So I think TAB's comments, which Justin's just played, is probably the biggest thing I've got from that. Smaller issues, not smaller issues, but other issues, obviously, the way the Great Barrington Declaration uh, distinguished a scientist as well as this uh, Nobel Prize winners were basically their voices were stopped they were shadow banned they and some of them didn't even know that they were being censored and so that was another example of and emails now we've seen where they basically have been told that they need to make sure that they go after these scientists to make sure that their voices aren't heard is another example of free speech being stopped uh Kim Yeah, so I watched the committee hearing, and uh, they're taking a break. And my observation is, and it has been the same ta- same thing with the last hearing about uh, Twitter files, is that this is really just a mud fight between the left and the right. No one on the bench seems to be serving the interests of the people. Um, there's no uh, question that the Democrats don't see any of uh, what has been unfolding through Twitter files as, you know, a serious uh, threat uh, against the Constitution or against the people of the United States. And that is my takeaway from having watched the first half uh, of the hearing. It's actually quite disappointing 
that those people who have been elected by the electorate are not actually caring about their constituents, but only caring about uh, how their party looks in all of this. That is not true. So you're just saying, what, what, what don't you agree with, Tammy? Because Piotr seems to agree. Um, they blatantly were giving examples, for example, of how Trump violated and how he was overreaching and how his administration was overreaching and working with Twitter. Um, the, um, uh, the executive just, me, board of quickly. Twitter to get things uh, sorry, taken I'm, I'm, off the internet and everything. Charmy, before, before you continue. So, Tammy, but, can, um, can I ask just, Tammy, a question? I think your point, Tammy, would be right. Um, you would have some strong basis by your argument because you're right, Trump was mentioned, but as Kim says, it was mentioned by the Dems. So if a Republican mentioned him and talked about the Chrissy Teigen uh, situation, then you could have some basis. But what Kim's trying to argue is the left or the liberals were doing liberal talking points and the right, the Republicans were doing Republican talking points. And so you didn't have this uh, balance. And uh, not balance, but you didn't have this importance, which was that, you know what, we want to ensure that Americans have free speech. So do you get the point? And what's your retort? Yeah, um, but he also said that the Democrats didn't seem to care that there were um, violations or whatever, and I did not get that impression. They didn't. I mean, look at what to. look at what uh, uh, what Wasserman Schultz was saying. I mean, her line of questioning was simply to attack uh, Matt Taibbi's journalistic career and his character. I mean, what 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 is the benefit of that? I think so. They're it's politicizing. Precise. I would say all Democrats. I would say all all Democrats don't care. Go ahead, Luis. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. And good afternoon to everyone. I think Suleiman made a very important point that oftentimes in these important discussions, our discourse is obfuscated by the left-right paradigm. And therein, we wind up losing the ability to view the entire system and the complicated intricacies of free speech and the information uh, environment. And so I think over the course of the past few hours, we've definitely covered a lot of ground regarding the information ecosystem, particularly the interconnections between government, non-governmental organizations and large tech entities and how that relates to free speech and the emergence of new ideas. I do think that it would be interesting to hear from Name Redacted and perhaps Justin and some of the other speakers as to where they see the DHS fusion centers fitting into this system. Because that is one entity that I haven't heard brought up in this space that I think plays a pretty pivotal role in this conversation. Yes, yeah, so, so name redacted. I'll, I'll, I know that you were referred, but before giving you the mic, I wanted to just get Piotr's thoughts on this because I saw him give a thumbs up to Kim.com. So maybe do you want to agree on that point, uh, Piotr? I, I think it's a valid point, which kind of goes with what uh, Luis just said as well. That is just made into like... It it just constantly happens where someone that you disagree with politically says something, even though you agree with that thing, you want to disagree with it just to kind of disagree with that person. Yeah, so I I just want to jump in on this then. Um, You know, I try to be balanced. Where do I sit on the U.S. political spectrum? I tend to sit center, center left, right? I tend to align more 
with the Democrats than the Republicans on certain things. But context and country depends, right? So the conservatives in the UK were more likely aligned with the Democrats in the US just because of how more right the US is on certain issues, right? So context is very important. Um, but I will always happily admit when I agree or I'm more willing to align to a specific point, right? When you vote, don't vote for people, vote for policies. Um, so I will vote for conservative people in the UK if I think that they've got better policies than, say, Labour or the Liberal Democrats, right? It's the same. Um, so I don't agree with Kim on much, but I liked what he said just then. And I can look past, um, you know, our other disagreements or uh, viewpoints on stuff to be able to acknowledge that I think he has a fair point, which is both sides have vested interests. Both sides are politicians where they desire to push a certain agenda or pull a certain narrative. Um, but equally, I agree with the previous speaker, Tammy, um, who I think was, uh, you know, astute in pointing out that there are certain inconsistencies with the questioning that is happening. Um, you know, I'm against uh, Trump being, um, you know, uh, prevented from sharing his thoughts or people who are pro-Trump having, you know, their thoughts shared on Twitter because that can p manipulate political in, uh, engagement. That's not good. But equally, I do have a problem with Trump uh, in, in other ways. So I, I think it's very much what you're talking about, who you're talking with, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate what uh, Kim said. Uh, just a quick question. What's uh, what's next now? Uh, I know that they're, they're taking a small break, but what do you no, expect small to break. see next? It's, it's a, they're adjourned. They're adjourned for so it's going to be oh, okay. uh, it's going to be a few days. Yeah. Oh, they've adjourned. That's it. We're done for yeah. the day. Oh done shit! For the I thought day. they're Are you taking sure a small the break. Entire... For the day? I think so. I mean, Kim. Uh, yeah. Kim, you said Kim. Did you say it was adjourned or was just taking a small break? Just want to see what Kim said because I know Ian. You said it's adjourned. Slime man, you weren't well, I, sure. I understand that they're taking a break. It's still morning in the US, so I would be surprised if this uh, was it. But uh, you know, I may have been, may, may be wrong. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm going to uh, imagine we'll they're going to be going name reducted. Four. So you think they're taking a small break, uh, Jim? I think. Sorry. No, Jim. I, I, I think. Yeah. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yeah, you yeah, man. Me? Yeah, you think they're gonna take a break? Name redacted. I'll go to you, man. Uh, I know that you referred to earlier by uh, Joe. Agrees that they seem to be taking a break. So let's see. Because um, I think I, I haven't seen shit to be honest. Like uh, honestly, the clips were entertaining. Some nice bits and pieces here and there, but uh, <coughs> yeah, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't see um, anything that's. Uh, there's any nothing game changing really, uh, but we'll go to name redacted so, man. What are your thoughts on the testimony thank you. so far? We haven't gone through. By the way, we haven't gone through the the Twitter files drop either yet. So uh, would love to continue going through that. So uh, Lewis, whatever what you said earlier, just just DM me information because I haven't looked into what you talked about. But um, I want to comment real quick on uh, Mario's question of are we seeing more misinformation on mainstream media or social media and then i want to touch on what ian said and then what aaron said and what aaron said 100 percent the biggest um in my opinion uh, in aaron's opinion the biggest uh, uh push of promoting disinformation is the government okay and now what ian said with mainstream media remember back uh operation mockingbird the cia admitted that you know and kim you you know about this that they put their own people inside the news media okay for for decades this has been going on so what the problem we have today is you have a 
military industrial complex, the intelligence community and the government have been able to control mainstream media all the way up until modern day. And you can see this perfectly with, through the Iraq war and the whole weapons of mass destruction. It was under George W. Bush, but that is a perfect example how military industrial complex and the uh, intelligence communities controlled the narrative through mainstream media. Why are we having these Twitter files and the censorship problem today is because now through technology, we have social media. Uh, the average person, um, either in the United States or globally, we go to social media to get our news today. Okay. So the problem here is the government, the military industrial complex, the intelligence community have lost control over being able to control their narrative. So they have made a full court press now through various avenues to wage their war, their information war on social media to control what Americans see online. That is why we're having this discussion today, because no one really watches the mainstream media anymore. Most people get their news from social media. That's why we're having this problem, because they have lost control. Well, well and, and what's that? Name redacted. Hold on. Mario, Name redacted. It said it's concluded for the day. So the, the hearing has concluded for the day. Ian, we'll be able to go through the Twitter fast to kind of finish those off as well. Is that okay? Yeah. Ian, you there? Uh, maybe you oh, have name redacted. We'll... Read them for change. <laughs> yeah, name redacted. I just have a quick know? question. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Before question. you ask your, yeah, before you ask your question, Tommy, I just want to go to... I'm Kamala Harris here. You know, just randomly laugh for no reason. I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I want to go to name redacted quickly. Uh, on the question, I, I, I want to... I want to give credit to 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 the media, okay? I want to actually just go against the grain for a bit because they've done a lot of wrong. There's a lot of censorship and we're fighting against it. I'm, I'm spending a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money fighting mainstream media. But there is a lot of journalists that try their best to do the right thing. They're in a system that's screwed up. But there's journalists that try – some of them get fired for doing it. But they try to get to the truth. And I, and I can't remember. We talked about it in the space. There was one journalist who said – if I can't share, oh no, it was about the um, the fucking Epstein files. And he goes, I was, I was researching. He goes, um, they were trying to censor him. He's like, I don't care if I have to die, but I'm gonna get the truth out. So there are good journalists out there. Well, that, that Matt and there are Matt Taibbi is a pretty good example of a good. Yeah, journalist. and he's an independent journalist, but there's journalists within the not, mainstream media. Now, mainstream a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't consider mainstream. But I'm saying either journalists within the mainstream media are trying to do the right thing. I speak to them. I know how they vet information. I'll tell you why. There is a lot of Twitter, uh, Twitter accounts. A lot of people. They just want to get clicks. Okay? Remember, Ian, we talked about this. I don't want to mention names. I don't attack people. But we've used yeah. an example once or twice where they just post anything. This like we're, 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 we're talking about mainstream media being biased and being censored. Absolutely true. But social media, we're biased. We're being censored. We're we're, you can say we're being censored, but we're biased, we're, we're, we're corrupted by the algorithm. Because the algorithm doesn't really care about fact. It's, it's moving in that direction. But you've seen how many things go viral, Ian, where they show there's someone just like posting a video where showing photos before and after, making oh, it seem yeah, like the Ukraine war doesn't exist. Yeah, 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 Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. The Ukraine war yeah. doesn't exist. 
yeah, and that went viral. That's a clown. That's not a journalist. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm saying, I'm, but yeah, but we're not talking about journalists here. We're talking about social media. So oh, I'm yeah, saying this. Social media encourages yeah. a lot of bad behavior. I mean, no, like, but it's, uh, a diff- it's different, though, isn't it? Because that what you're giving examples of, um, Mario, is an individual. It's not censorship. When, no, yeah, no, 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 it's individual. It's an individual person, person. No, it's so an algorithm. It's an algorithm. No, no, I agree. The algorithm causes that. You know, when you post something. I know that you're an individual. You've got your biases. When you see my space, yep. my page, you know I'm an individual. I've got my biases. But, but no, hold on, hold on. You can journalists. you can create a sorry, Simon. You can create an account. You can create an account. First, you can pretend to be a journalist on on Twitter. There's a lot of Twitter journalists. And that's number one. Number two sure. is um, you can create an account and make it seem like a nice. There's a lot of these. You know, we know we all know Raw's Alerts who comes on the space all the time. Or so Breaking Four News or these guys, yeah. uh, all source news. Yeah, they validate information. Like you see a lot of uh, OSINT accounts that claim to be that are not accounts, OSINT. Right? Yeah, that don't have they're the same OSINT, criteria. They're, they're propagandists yeah. uh, on whatever side, right? I that's mean, what I mean. It's, it's, some of them have 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 malicious, uh, uh, you know, reasoning yeah, so to, that's what to I do mean. these things. Yeah, yeah I agree. and I tried like when. I... Did you cut out, Mario? Yeah, right. I lost him as well. Yeah, he's not here. Yeah, I, I wasn't talking <laughs> what, about what I would say. What I would say to Mario. What I would say to mainstream media in general, just sort of an overview. I, I know there are honest journalists that do real good investigative work, unbiased let's say like Matt Taibbi or whatnot, but when you get the main talking points being, uh, the space is going to crash. I just got a uh, notice that Mario was having a yeah, connection. Yeah, I got so, that too, yeah. yeah. yeah so we're going to get, back. we're going to have about a minute and the space is going to crash. So well, yeah, you're, you're making a lot of sense. You're making a lot of yeah. yeah, the issue yeah, is that yeah. a lot of people get their talking points on Don Levin. They get their talking yeah. points on Rachel. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, Ian, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Matter, yeah. right? But yeah, we, but... we a lot of it is driven by opinion. It's not really journalism. you know. And, and it's funny that the people who are attacking Tucker right now are precisely responsible for this uh, uh, this landscape that we find ourselves in, right? Because they're the opinion people, you know, the, the view, for example, they're attacking Tucker Carlson for being opinionated. They called him entertainment, and yet... Every single day, they masquerade as journalists. They're not journalists. They're a bunch of talking heads, a bunch of talking chickens. And, That's not uh, a news show. That is not. That is a women's talk show. And yet, that, that is, is where a lot of people news get their news show. from. People get their news from there. People get their news from there. That's the point. Media, there's basically an agreement about the way they're going to process stories. You saw that in the very first Twitter files, where all of them, without fail, use the same lingo, the same language. Yes, that, absolutely uh, so but much. Keep in mind, and guys, Tammy, I believe you your know, perspective. About PR and paid. Yeah, go yes, ahead. Sorry. Tammy, and, and your perspective would be colored. You know, once you're on the receiving end of media lies and mass hit 